millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. Naturalhempoil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Visit naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill. Generally, you have to use multiple products that target belly fat differently to manage excess weight around the stomach. Some products may focus on abdominal exercises or dietary changes, while others might focus on boosting metabolism or controlling cravings. But believe it or not, I may have found a solution that removes the need for juggling through multiple weight management products. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviews back up the notion that Belly Trim is not only a breakthrough in a bottle, but that it also removes the need for us to use countless diet pills and fat-burning supplements. But there's more. If you place your order for Belly Trim now, you'll also receive 51% off free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, two free new ebooks titled Top 10 Foods That Burn Belly Fat, and Top 10 Exercises to Reduce Belly Fat, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, and last but not least, free shipping. Simply go to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. 
www.fighterflare.com. Order now. Something wicked is coming this way, and only fools are ignoring the signs. So it's time you became a financial prepper like thousands of others. Gold can travel anywhere. It's international. It's its own currency. Allocate to gold now, the timeless safe haven asset. Open an IRA with noble gold investments to physically hold coins and bars and let real, tangible gold, not just paper, save your portfolio as the economy burns again. Right now, Noble Gold Investments offers a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin with every qualified IRA. Just use the promo code code GOLD to claim your free coin and secure your family's financial future. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com now. noblegoldinvestments.com This performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. Contained in this program is not to be construed as medical or legal advice. An appearance on this platform is not necessarily an endorsement. But as always, we encourage you to do your own research. Enjoy the show. Good evening, everyone. You're listening to Red Pill 78. As always, my name is Zach Payne, the Corruption Detector, and this is another edition of Red Pill News for Saturday Night Livestream. Joining me in the studio tonight, once more, good friend of the program, good friend of mine personally, uh, Clinton whistleblower, Clinton Foundation whistleblower, and former FBI contractor, Nate Kane. Now, throughout Nate's experience in public life, he's only be a- been able to say so much about so much. But I think we've reached a point in the story where Nate might be able to divulge just a little bit more about the nature of what he blew the whistle on. Clearly, I think you can basically take your pick on the crimes of the Clinton Foundation and Hillary Clinton, but unless we actually get confirmation on stuff, it's all hearsay, speculation. Although I wouldn't put it past her to do just about anything. Either way, guys, do me a favor, sit back, relax, grab your popcorn, hit the like button if you can, and we're going to be right back after this. Right now, with inflation at 8.6% and climbing, you're going to need some help to get back to financial safety. And the good news is you can call Noble Gold and their experts will help explain to you the benefits of a gold IRA or 401k. So that way, you won't have to worry about a thing. And if you're quick, they're giving away an incredible one-tenth of an ounce American Eagle gold-proof coin with every qualifying IRA or 401k rollover. You can't go wrong with Noble Gold. So give them a call at 877-646-5347, or you can visit them at noblegoldinvestments.com. Click the link below. And remember, when you support my sponsors, you support this channel. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And please join me in welcoming our guest once again, Mr. Nate Kane. Nate, how are you tonight, sir? I'm doing great, Zach. 
It's good to, good to see you again. Good to be on the show. It's always great to have you here. Um, now, Nate, I want to know everything you've been up to since the last time you were on. I know you've had some big developments in your life, uh, and hopefully these are some things you can share with the audience. I think everybody uh, enjoys hearing a, a success story. You know, at the time that you came out with your initial whistleblowing information, I think that uh, a lot of people were worried about what was going to happen to you, the safety of you and your family. And I know that, you know, you were a little concerned, too. I mean, uh, when when you go up against some of the most powerful elements of, you know, whatever it is, the U.S. government, uh, you know, business banking, any of these things, you run the risk of uh, putting a, a, a target on yourself. Uh, but I'd say that arguably God has blessed you as a result of your courage to come forward. H- how has everything been? Um, things have been a lot better. Uh, there's been some really good things that have been happening in my life. And you're absolutely right. Um, you know, God has had my back. Uh, one thing, you know, that I, I want to say right up, you know, right up front is that my whistleblowing from the very get go uh, was based on very, very, you know, uh, just, I spent a lot of time in prayer, you know, asking God, you know, do I need to do this? Because it was not something I wanted to do. Uh, it was something I knew that took, um, you know, to put me and my family uh, in the crosshairs. And I knew there would likely be retaliation and there was, and, you know, we went through um, what I would honestly say was some of the hardest times of my life. Um, but also, you know, like anything, when you go through something difficult and you come out of it, you come out of it a much stronger person um, with greater faith. And I certainly, um, I had so many just great experiences that I got out of that whole experience. Um, one of those things was just learning to trust God on a, on a level that I had never before, um, you know, ever had been uh, in that place. So it was a it was a difficult time of my life, but um, we are in a different place. And I think, uh, and I thank God, and I thank all of the people who supported my wife and I in prayer and encouragement. Um, you know, while I was on Twitter, we had a lot of people that were following us that were praying for us and giving us encouraging words, and that was something that just meant the world to us. And um, so, I just want to you know say thank you, and also to people like you, you know, who brought me on their show and allowed me to be able to tell my story. Uh, if it wasn't for people like you, uh, Zach, you know, I would have been just another, you know, person, uh, you know, who, you know, the FBI could have, you know, rolled over on and, um, you know, and they certainly tried to do that to me, but, um, I think because of the publicity and, uh, because of the, you know, the negative publicity that, that the, you know, the, uh, FBI was getting because of it, they backed off. And, uh, so I'm grateful, you know, to that. Well, I'm grateful um, for I just I just wanted to say I'm grateful for the experience that I've had throughout our friendship and the fact that we got to meet each other as a result of this. I I don't know if I ever said this before, but we were introduced to each other because you had seen my first video where I covered the raid on your house and what you were going mm-hmm. through and you reached out yeah. to me on Twitter and I I got to say that was like my first, I guess I don't know how to say it, like starstruck moment, you know? I mean, like to just have this awareness that something that I was speaking out about was actually reaching the person that was the subject of it. I mean, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. 
Uh, and uh, I just I, I felt so lucky to be in that moment and to know that the way I spoke about it um, was something that 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 reached you in a positive way. And yeah. uh, and I just want to say I've always respected you because you had the courage to stand up and uh, and speak out about that. You know, I think the reason we're in this position right now here in America is because there have been probably tens of thousands of people just like you that came before you that saw what was going on, realized that it wasn't right and realized that if they didn't say something, it was just going to keep on rolling down the road that that criminal train was going to continue to chug along. And they chose not to say something because they knew that it had the possibility of throwing a monkey wrench into their career plans and maybe even more. But you set that aside and you said, this is what's right. And I have to do that. And I just, you know, I, th- that's why I, I, I was so struck by your story. Well, one of the the reasons why, um, you know, when I first came on your show, um, you know, I I didn't want to do any interviews with anybody, really. Um, And I came on your show because um, I saw, you know, that basically everything that I had gone through was basically going to just be, you know, just covered up and and ignored. and, uh, And I couldn't stand, you know, seeing what was happening. And I had respected the fact that I saw, you know, the way that you handled different people on your show, you know, you didn't just come out and, and just go along with everything that was being said. You questioned things, but you also, um, I have, I had had, I've had some experience with other reporters and other news agencies. And, um, and one of the things that is, is really disturbing and I think is a big problem in America today in the media is that a lot of reporters care way more about getting the story than they do about the people whom they may hurt, you know, in the process of getting that story. And I've had a few people, you know, that I've dealt with like that, you know, who, um, you know, did things that were clearly in their own interest and not in the interest of, you know, the person that was giving their time to talk to them, nor in the interest of what was, you know, the truth. And uh, that's something I've always respected about you. And um, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I'm, I'm glad that I got to meet you and become friends with you. And, and, uh, you know, I wish we lived closer to each other because I'm sure we'd be hanging <laughs> right on. Yeah. So go out fishing. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm. So let me just say thank you over on uh, rumble to uh, zoo Q. He says, thanks for all the great content, Zach. Thank you very much for watching. Um, so, you are are you still working in some capacity in um in the government or are you just working for yourself now so um so that's a a new development that's happened um as many of you guys know after i uh was basically you know fired from the va because i had left the fbi went to the va and was working there and when the fbi raided me i was a i was uh, working for the va as a contractor and uh, they just, you know, were like, ah, we don't want to deal with this. So they, you know, they made sure that I got fired and the FBI had a part in that. Um, you know, I was fortunate to, to get picked up by a defense contractor uh, who I had an interview with. And, and the guy was just a really stand up guy. Um, but I had a friend who I had worked with in, in Hawaii and um, he had reached out to his boss and said, look, you need to, you know, this guy did the right thing and he's getting screwed over. We need to give him a chance. And, um, so he met with me, interviewed me and I 
was upfront and told them about everything that was going on in my life. Cause I didn't know if I was going to still have a clearance, you know, I knew they could try to, you know, take that from me. And, uh, in the end, um, you know, after the interview, he said, look, you know, I think what you did was admirable and I don't think most people would have had the courage to do it. And I'm going to give you a chance. And he says, as long as you have a clearance, I can, you know, can, I can employ you. And so, uh, basically up until, you know, about maybe, six months ago, I was working for them and everything was, you know, going great. And, and I was able to, you know, take care of my family and continue to pay my bills. And, uh, you know, I was able to survive, you know, the nightmare that, that I had woken up to one day. Um, since then, uh, the company got bought out and I decided, uh, and this was right in the midst of the whole COVID uh, situation. Um, I did not want to get vaccinated. I felt like that was, uh, you know, an experimental thing. And I just, there was a lot of things about it that I didn't care for. That could be a whole show in and of itself. But uh, the company that bought our company or bought the company I was working for was mandating and enforcing that on everybody. And uh, so I said, all right, I guess it's time for me to start my own company. Because at that time, you know, if you were a company of 10, you know, or smaller then you had an exemption from it. So uh, I stepped out in faith and started my own company and, uh, and it has been, um, it's been a great success. And so, you know, I've picked up uh, a subcontract and I'm working, you know, in a capacity, um, I don't want to say who with, uh, but, uh, I'm working for, you know, a, a great, you know, working for as a subcontractor to another great company and, uh, who's working for a government agency and I'll just leave it at that. But, um, I'm doing, uh, cybersecurity and, uh, doing the you know cyber engineering, which is what I really love doing, and so it has been uh, a great experience. And I got a great team of guys that I work with, and uh, I really couldn't ask for better. So God has truly you know has blessed me and blessed my family. I think um, you know through all of this and despite all of this, and uh, it's been a good thing. So we're right now. Um, I am looking to uh, hopefully expand my company and you know and pick up a couple of contracts. Hopefully, be able to you know, hire a few people and, and, uh, but I've got two of my kids that are interning with me right now and that are, um, studying, you know, and, and to follow in my footsteps in cybersecurity, which is really exciting. That's gotta be cool. Very, very cool. All right. So <clears throat> let's go back to when you were at the FBI. What was it that you saw that alerted you to the larger problems that you ended up reporting? Oh boy. Um, well, and you know, there was a lot going on in the news at the time and, um, what initially, you know, and I thought just like probably most of America that the FBI was conducting an investigation into, you know, into Hillary Clinton and the Clinton foundation and all of that. And, um, what initially caused me to go looking for information, because the truth is, is that, you know, you know, I'm just like anybody else. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to, you know, put my job in jeopardy. And, and so I've, I've always held on to this notion of, you know, um, you know, you, you stay in your lane and you don't, you know, go outside your lane, especially when you're dealing with like classified information. But I walked into work one day and, um, one of my supervisors was being, uh, he was being very kind of like hush hush and, you know, talking quietly, um, to one of my colleagues and, you know, and I, I got in there, I'm like, Hey, what's going on? And he shared with me something that was very disturbing and I couldn't ignore it. And he basically said that, uh, there was a system that we used for inner, 
uh, FBI communications. And it would, um, the FBI, one thing they are really good about is maintaining records. And so all communications, all email, everything, they have the best records management system of any agency I've ever worked for. And so all of those get logged and they get maintained and, um, and, uh, but there's a process. And so sometimes there's conversations that are had and they're recorded and transcribed and, um, and they're supposed to go into a compartmentalized area. But, you know, according to what my supervisor told me that there was some information that had you know been posted somewhere within the FBI's uh, network that was not compartmentalized. And, you know, and he had seen this and there was a lot of talk, but there was all kinds of things that were being said about that the FBI you know, was basically not going to continue their investigation, that they had discovered some things that were, you know, that were huge. Uh, Words are being thrown around like treason and, uh, you know, things like this could bring the entire government down. And, you know, there was a lot of fear. And so decisions were being made, you know, to basically um, stop looking into things or to, you know, make things go away. Um, for political reasons and, and out of, you know, a basis of fear. And that to me, I knew was going to be a huge miscarriage of justice. And so, um, I decided to go look and see. And so I, you know, went on to the network and, you know, and I knew that everything I was doing was being tracked. So I knew that eventually at some point, you know, that they could come back and ask me, what were you doing looking at this stuff? But, um, but I, I did, I looked and I saw that, um, I found some things on there and it was a lot of um, suspicious activity reports and things like that, that deal with uh, financial transactions. And there was a lot, a lot of stuff that was happening. And uh, there were uh, multiple investigations that were going on. They had case file numbers um, and they were being handled by different FBI offices. So uh, there was one that was being handled um, uh and it was it was dealing with uh, the, the header on it was um, public corruption unit, and then there was another one that was a money laundering unit, and then there was another unit that um, was uh, securities and exchange fraud, and then the fourth one, which shocked me, um, was terrorism financing. So um, I saw this, and initially I thought, oh, good, the FBI is you know, looking into this. So all these rumors, you know, that they're not going to do anything. That's, it's a bunch of baloney. So I just left it alone and I decided, you know, basically to just wait and see what happened. And then that fateful day came when Comey, um, he got up there in front of, you know, the FBI, uh, Jagger Hoover building and he went before the cameras and, uh, and he basically announced, you know, that, um, you know, no reasonable, you know, prosecutor would go after Hillary Clinton, you know, over you know, her mishandling of classified information, which that in and of itself wasn't even the issues that were being looked at that I knew about. But that in and of itself was a serious offense because there it was revealed in um, in public testimony uh, when when um, Comey was at these hearings that uh, Hillary Clinton had mishandled um you know, what they call a a SAP or a special access program. And that is information that is, it's top secret. And it is, it's, it's more than just top secret. It's a special access program. So it's compartmentalized. It's information that could bring grave damage to, you know, our country if it were, you know, leaked. And in order to even get that information out of a SCIF, okay, which is where I worked at the time, 
um, you would literally have to, you know, either print it out and carry it out or, you know, use some means of moving it onto, you know, a, a uh, removable media and, and take it out. So you would have to violate the law and, you know, violate procedure in order to even remove that information. And so, so to me, I didn't see how it was even possible that you could um, have, you know, that there could be special access program information on her computer that was in her bathroom, you know, in her basement of her home. Um, that just didn't make any sense to me. And, and then how um, she could get away with that, you know, and then I watched all of the, the hearings and she was talking about, oh, you know, and they, the FBI was trying to play it off as that she was not very sophisticated. And, you know, and then she tried to even play that off. And she was like, you know, at one point was asked, you know, about wiping her computers. And she said, oh, what with the cloth? And, you know, look, I know what it is, okay, to go through and sign all the non-disclosure agreements, to go through all of the, um, you know, the training for, you know, classified, classified information handling, um, you know, uh, being a derivative uh, uh, classifier, all of these things. And she, she was like, you know, as, as a secretary of state, the very top, I mean, she had the ability to classify things. Um, she had the ability to, you know, put things in special access programs and stuff. So there was a lot there that was, to me, uh, was very telling that they were planning to cover up. And so at that point, that's when I really had a decision to make. And so I prayed, like I said, long and hard about it. And I, you know, one of the conditions, if you will, that I laid before God was, I said, God, I can't do this and continue to work here. So I need a job like, yeah, this is going to happen. And so I, um, I ended up, uh, um, praying that night. And the next day I got a job offer working from home a hundred percent of the time for the VA and. I'll take and it was like a four thousand dollar pay cut, but I was like, uh, you know, I looked at the math and I'm like, okay, this will this will work, but at least I can get out of here. And so um, I knew I needed to carry that information out. Um, I knew that you know under the whistleblower laws that I was authorized to take classified information, um, you know, if it was for whistleblowing, but it had to go to the right people. Well, the problem was I couldn't take it to the FBI, because some of the people who were implicated in this were Comey. And, um, and then, you know, also you had uh, uh, Jeff Sessions, and Jeff Sessions was not implicated in it. But Jeff Sessions, remember, had recused himself from anything having to do with Russia. And the problem was, is that would mean that anything that I would submit to them would have to go to Rod Rosenstein. And Rod Rosenstein was somebody who was, you know, a, basically a person of interest related to all this because he was a Maryland state's attorney when a lot of this stuff with uh, uranium one was going on. So um, I ended up then looking at, okay, well, what if I take it to, you know, the IG for uh, the intelligence community? And when I started looking into Michael Atkinson, um, I saw that Michael Atkinson uh, was the, um, he was the, basically the head of the FBI's uh, public corruption unit when they were investigating all these matters that basically did nothing. So he was implicated. So here I am screwed, you know, because I can't take it to the two like kind of, you know, places, you know, that I would normally take this sort of thing. So I had one other option and that was uh, I had uh, to do a little bit of reading up and researching the law, but there was one other uh, option that I had and that was to take it to uh, one of the intelligence committees 
And because anybody um, who is a, any senior staff member of, of, a, uh, of the intelligence committees, and that's both the HIPSI and the SISI, um, which is the Senate and the House, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, both the, of those um, committees are authorized to take classified information from anybody without exception. So um, at that time, um, uh, you had uh, the Republicans were in control of the House, and so they basically ran the committee. And uh, Devin Nunez was the chairman of that committee. So I trusted him, and um, but I didn't want to reach out directly to him because I knew there would be a record somewhere. You know, so I had to be very clandestine. Um, I reached out to uh, a reporter by the name, social media guy by the name of Bill Still, uh, who I knew had a lot of connections in Washington, D.C., because he had had Bill Binney on a show. And Bill Binney was another former uh, whistleblower for the, uh, against the NSA. And so I figured he might be somebody that, you know, and I trusted him. He, I knew he was a Christian. He always had, you know, a Bible verse that he would, you know, quote on his show. And, um, and so I reached out to him and I said, look, um, I have information regarding whistleblowing and I need help getting that information to uh, somebody in, you know, in the government, but um, I'm not going to say anything more, you know, except, you know, on a secured communications. And so he reached out to me and uh, the next thing you know, uh, and it turned out he did in fact have a connection. And so he got me in touch um, with uh, the committee and with Devin Nunez's office. And uh, the next thing was uh, we came up, picked me up. Um, you know, I, I basically waited at the, um, at the uh, botanical gardens and uh, with classified information on me. And, um, and he picked me up in his car because we were trying to figure out how could I debrief, you know, this official without it being, you know, somebody listening somewhere. Cause there's, you know, there's, there's a, uh, surveillance all over dc so we we drove up and uh we picked up uh george pappas and george pappas was um and i don't know if i've ever revealed this before but uh, i'm revealing that at this point i think uh, george pappas was one of the senior staff members to uh devin nunez and um and so i met with him and i we drove around dc for about three hours uh, i debriefed him on everything and, uh, and then I handed him the thumb drive and it had, um, a lot of, you know, doc, a lot of these, um, um, suspicious activity reports and, um, what they call TSARs, which are treasury suspicious activity reports. And they follow the money and that kind of thing. And these had, these were ones that had already come over to the FBI. They had been reviewed and analyzed by analysts and they already had a high, uh, down in the, the, the notes section under the analysis section, they had a, a high probability of like, you know, money laundering, um, you know, terrorism, financing, securities and exchange fraud and public corruption, the, these different categories. So then that information is, is, you know, evidence, right. That goes to, you know, the unit that's working on it uh, to, you know, usually if there's like a U.S. attorney or, um, you know, a secret grand jury or something like that, that information will be used to obtain a warrant. And, um, and, so I handed this information, you know, over and, um, and then he asked me, uh, he told me that, you know, a couple of things that he shared with me that were very disturbing. One is he shared that, um, that the committee were very concerned that they were being spied on 
by the intelligence community. That bothered me because the intelligence community, you know, these are not supposed to be, you know, a rogue element. You know, the intelligence community works for the executive branch, but ultimately, um, you know, we have three branches of government and Congress is supposed to oversee them. And that's what the whole point and purpose of these committees are. So how could it be that, you know, Congress is, you know, the, the very people who are supposed to be monitoring and holding these people in check are being spied on by, you know, these agencies they're supposed to be monitoring. Now, Nate, do you know why they were afraid of that? I mean, because there was already a, a, another such scandal where the CIA under John Brennan during the Obama administration yeah. had been spying on uh, at least uh, uh, one of these committees. It, was it just yes. because of what had happened before or was um, there some other reason? There, I th- So I don't know uh, fully, to be honest with you. I don't know what inside information they may have had. I mean, there had been some revelations. One of them, uh, interestingly enough, got posted to the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence um, when, uh, or uh, no, sorry, no, it wasn't the Senate Select Committee. It was the it was the Senate um, Judiciary Committee, which is a very powerful committee that oversees the Department of Justice. And uh, Chuck Grassley was in charge of of that um, committee at the time. He was the chairman, and he basically declassified or published these declassified documents to their. Um, to their committee webpage that uh, detailed the uh, detailed the the intelligence community spying on on the the intelligence committees specifically to look for whistleblowers, <laughs> which is you know really disturbing. So That's it is, and so um, so they were very concerned, and he did not want me communicating with him uh, except by a means of a secured um, uh, a secured uh, uh, chat program app. And so, um, so I downloaded it. Cause so, so here's what happened. He asked me, he said, look, you know, we are investigating and we're getting stonewalled and we're not getting information. And I provided a lot of information on various things. So some of it was related to, you know, directly to, uh, the Clinton foundation of money laundering and those types of things. But it was also, I provided some information that was related to election and, uh, election security. Um, because the FBI was saying one thing, um, you know, in front of everybody, you know, in, in Congress, but then they had documents that said the exact opposite. There were assessments, uh, that the FBI had that indicated that these, um, you know, systems were not necessarily secure. Um, however, they, they did feel that there was a low threat of, of, um, hacking of our elections because of the systems being so widely dispersed and not fully integrated with each other. Um, and granted, this was a report that was done, you know, in a previous election, but, um, but they, you know, Comey was on Capitol Hill saying, Oh, you know, we're not worried about, you know, we're, you know, things should be fine. And also um, I provided some information um, that had to deal with uh, intelligence that were related to uh, uh, certain threats. Um, one of the things that was a lot of focus of attention to the Democrats at the time was they were all, everything was Russia, Russia, Russia. And, oh, you know, we're, we're concerned about Russia hacking us. We're concerned about Russia hacking the United States. And certainly Russia was a concern, no doubt about it. And I would know I was part of, um, a, a, uh, Marfor cyber, uh, cyber protection team, uh, prior to the FBI, whose job was to defend the country against, you know, foreign attacks on our, um, critical infrastructure. 
And I was in a team that was detached to NSA. And so I'm very aware of the, the actual cybersecurity threats against our country. And Russia's on that list. But who was far more dangerous, like way more dangerous, you know, is China. And nobody was talking about China. Not anybody was talking about China, in, you know, at least not the Democrats. And, um, and so I was very concerned about that. So I brought some of that information forward in that, in that um, whistleblowing thing. Because uh, I felt like the FBI, you know, was not focusing um, on, you know, that real threat. Um, the other area that um, I brought forward uh, information on um, had to do with uh, Antifa and uh, some of those uh, domestic, you know, what they call uh, homegrown, uh, um, was it H, it's homegrown extremism, uh, uh, extremist groups. And so there was this thing going on where, um, you know, the FBI was before Congress and, and they were asked about Antifa and they said, ah, you know, not, you know, we're more concerned about white supremacy is really the threat to our country. And, you know, we're not worried about, you know, and they acted like they didn't even know what Antifa was. Mm-hmm. The fact is um, I had reports that, you know, talked about extremist leftist groups, Marxist groups that were um, for example, in Portland, you know, that um, were, you know, basically amassing guns and weapons and things like that. And they were, you know, planning for, you know, riots. And I mean, all we got to do now is look and see what happened to Portland. This was before, by the way, all of this stuff started happening in in Portland. Um, So the FBI had this information and they basically were ignoring it. And instead, instead they were taking their marching orders on who to call a violent extremist from the Southern Law Poverty Office. In fact, I don't know how much money that the um, um, that that group was getting from the FBI, but they were basically being paid by the FBI to provide information on uh, and, and to help determine who were the threats to America. And that group is completely ideologically biased. I mean, they are a leftist group and uh, have done, have gone so far. They were, in fact, it turns out they were involved uh, in helping the IRS target. Uh, some of the, you know, conservative groups, if you remember that scandal a while back. Oh, yes. So, so there, there was a lot of information that I handed over. It was a total of 458 pages, I believe. And, um, and it was a lot. And the reason I, I remember, you know, the distinct remember the number of pages, because what ended up happening was I got asked by George Pappas to go back into the FBI and get more information specifically related to uranium one, because they were particularly interested in investigating that. So, um, you know, I had to go back in and I had to look and I, I didn't have to, but I knew that, you know, likelihood of anybody else coming forward was probably slim to none. And I figured I'd already, you know, crossed one bridge. So I might as well cross the other and, and do the right thing. So I went back in and on my last day at the FBI, I collected you know, a bunch of other information and I had access to the system that allowed me to be able to uh, move data onto a thumb drive. And so I moved everything onto a thumb drive and I walked out of there and I had this communication device uh, or I had a, a, an app that I could communicate securely with George. And uh, when I tried to reach out to him, I got no response. And unfortunately, it was my last day, so it wasn't like I could bring that information back into the bureau. Mm-hmm. I couldn't exactly destroy it because that would be destroying evidence, and that would basically, you know, make everything that I just did completely worthless. So I brought it home. I put it into my safe, 
and I contacted a lawyer because I knew at that point I was screwed. And um, I don't know what happened to this day. I still don't know what happened, you know, why I got cut off from communications, but I did come across a podcast by um, Devin Nunez, which was dated um, right around that time, or no, he was talking about that time period of when I handed over this stuff, you know, to, um, to him. And that date happened to fall on Halloween on October uh, 31st. I think it was a 2007, the first initial uh, bit of information that I provided. 2007 um, or 2017? Sorry, 2017. Okay. 2017. So I handed, um, so I, I ended up, um, um, so, I, so this podcast, uh, Devin Nunez talked, he was talking about um, that at that time that he and uh, I can't remember, uh, it was another Republican um, congressman who was uh, very much involved in the, um, investigating the Benghazi stuff and all that. I can't remember his name, it's, uh, something, but he, he left Congress a little bit earlier. But anyways, he, Devin Nunez and him were, were asked to come down to the FBI um, to the to the skiff to basically look at some information, and he said that they had been given a warning that that was a setup, and that they were going to set them up for a leak, and so they chose not to go down there, even though they gave confirmation they were going down there. Sure enough, uh, the information that they were supposed to see got leaked to the press, and uh, they tried, of course, you know, to blame them, but. And when they looked at the logs, they weren't on the logs because they never did show up. So, you know, it turned out that the FBI was trying to set them up. Wow. And so they were so so they that was right around that time. And of course, when I gave handed over the information to George Pappas, I did offer to show him my badge. But he said, I, I don't want to see your badge. You know, basically, let's you know, I'd rather not. Let's just not. And, you know, I understand what he was trying to do. He was probably trying to protect me. But at the same time, I think that made Devin Nunez probably very cautious about looking at any of that information or doing anything with it because they didn't know if they were trying, you know, they, I could have been a, you know, an FBI plant trying to set something up, you know, and I mean, it, that would have been, you know, I'm sure they had a lot of suspicion going on at the time. And so sure. um, nobody knew who I was. So, you know, I, I was completely, my identity was you know, completely kept hidden. So fast forward now. You know, I have this thumb drive. Um, so I ended up uh, reaching out to um, uh, Michael Sakaris, And I'm kind of going through the story a little fast because I know, you know we have, we're limited for time. And there's some other things I do want to get to. Uh, but long story short, um, I ended up taking everything through uh, the, the IG, through the DOJ IG's office. And, and uh, turns out I was the very first uh, contractor to ever use the Intelligence Community Whistleblower Protection Act to bring a whistleblowing complaint to the, um, uh, to the IG uh, ever in history, uh, which says a lot because it had been around for a while, but nobody had used it. And the reason nobody had used it because, uh, you know, of what exactly what happened to me following, (laughs) you know, everybody who blows a whistle gets raided and then they have their life destroyed and they get dragged to court and uh, get threatened. And, um, but I, I did go through that process. I do believe that, um, that, um, the, the IG for, uh, the DOJ IG, uh, Horowitz, I do believe that he is a stand up guy. Um, you know, he was appointed by a Democrat, but the fact is, um, 
he went to great lengths to help me get that information to the two committees who had a responsibility to review it, even when everything was against me at the DOJ. So first thing that happened was the DOJ had a process that they were supposed to look at things and get it back to us within 21 days. They totally violated that, went over it, didn't even respond. Jeff Sessions refused to even look at it. And it's important people understand this. He basically said, I'm not looking at this and sent it back down. So it came back down without a determination of credibility. And that's what he was supposed to do was look at it, give it a credibility rating. And then the IG's office could then release me to take it to those committees. Because by law, I had a right to can carry that information to those committees. Well, he refused to do that. So my lawyer then went back and talked to um, the IG and said, look, you know, this is, and even IG admitted, this has never happened before. This is like, you know, kind of unprecedented. And he said, look, this is information that is important that needs to get into the right hands. And he said, so I'm going to take the unprecedented steps of doing a a credibility determination myself. So he did. He went because this information came straight out of the FBI database. So anybody with access to it could have gone and verified the document numbers and all of that because they're serialized. He could go and look and see that this stuff is legit. And he and. When I, we asked him, do you want us to hand you, you know, do you want us to give you the thumb drive? He said, no, we want you to print out everything and hand us a printed copy because by law, if the committees did nothing with that information, I had the right to take it to somebody else in the government. So I had the thumb drive legally in my possession. Um, so these are just, I'm clearing up some things that I've heard over the years, you know, you know sure. people say. And uh, so I legally had a right to hold that information because I was going through the whistleblower, you know, act. So the next step was I was told, okay, now you can bring it to those committees. And so my lawyer contacted, um, um, I think the guy's name was uh, Corbin Hall, uh, who was in charge of like, you know, communications with the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Didn't really trust the 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 Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. There had been too many leaks, you know, of whistleblowers' names that had come out of there. So, um, but we were, you know, wanted to go to the House Select Committee, and so, and that's where I, you know, initially blown the whistle to, anyways. But because we had gone through that process, we had to send information to both committees. So we reached out first to the House. They came back and said, "We don't feel comfortable taking that information from somebody who." is not going to give us their name. Now, this is a new piece of information, I think. I don't think I've ever shared this with anybody. But when my lawyer submitted the paperwork to the IG's office, he gave me a code name, MC Poda. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, what is MC Poda? I'm like, you couldn't give me a cooler name than that? And he goes, oh, you don't even know what it means. You know, I'm like, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, like, give me something, you know, like 007 ish or something, you know, we've gone through, right? Gold leaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your goldfinger, right? But no, so my, so my, my lawyer, uh, he, he gave me the name MC Poda. And then he tells me, and my, my lawyer was a Cuban American immigrant who saw his father basically, you know, imprisoned and put into work camps for Cuba, uh, for the communist regime in Cuba under mm-hmm. um, um, the, uh, the Cuban uh, communist party. So he, he hates communists. Okay. So I got to preface it with that. 
So when I asked him what MC Poda was, he said, it stands for making communists pay out the ass. So I was like, okay, I love it. I'll keep, I'll own that. I'll own that all day long because I, I, love I it. hate communists too. So, so I was, uh, I, I loved it. And so that became my code name. And so every document that, that deals with me and my whistleblowing says MC Poda on it. So for all of you out there who might want to FOIA something, uh, you know, you need to make sure you use MC Poda because if you, if you try to FOIA something on me, it's probably not going to come back with anything, but Anyhow, um, so I ended up, uh, uh, my lawyer got in contact with them. They didn't feel comfortable taking information from somebody who didn't have a name. And again, I think it had something to do with the fact that, you know, that they had suspicions of the FBI. So my lawyer went back to uh, Horowitz and said, you know, hey, here's the problem. They don't want to take it from us. And uh, so Horowitz suggested, uh, what if my office delivers it? Will they take it if it comes from my office? And so my lawyer went back to them and they said, yes, they would take it directly from his office. So he delivered it to both the House and the Senate um, intelligence committees. Uh, My lawyer called, confirmed with Corden Hall that the committee had received it and that they had reviewed it and that they had determined that it was of great importance. And we didn't really reach out to the uh, to the Senate committee until much later, and I'll get into that in a minute. But um, long story short, uh, a few months after that, the House changed hands. It went to Adam Schiff, became the chairman, and he basically did nothing with it. He was, he was you know, not going to even allow that information to come, you know, come into you know any kind of investigation. So. Um, he only cared about trying to you know, prove a false narrative against, you know, our present, you know, with uh, the whole Russia collusion hoax. So um, later, uh, you know, about, I don't know, it was maybe a couple months or a few months later, uh, you know, 16 agents show up at my house, raid my house, um, go through, you know, essentially turning over everything in my house. Um, they left my house with, you know, several thousand dollars worth of you know, a computer equipment and things like that, including all of the government equipment that I had for the, for the VA. Um, they, the agent, uh, even though I told them I had a lawyer, I told them I was being represented. I told them that I was a whistleblower. Um, I mean, I, I shouldn't have said anything to them. And that's a note to anybody out there. If you're ever confronted in a situation, you don't cooperate. What you do is you say, I want a lawyer because they're not, they'll act like you're there, they're, you know, they're your friend, but they're not. Um, thought, you know, I'll just tell the truth and you know, everything will be all right. Well, next thing I know, um, you know, the, the FBI is, uh, basically, you know, calls me up the, the, it's the lead agent calls me up, tries to get me to, um, give him my passwords to all my systems. And, and I gave him the password to my phone and I shouldn't have, but, but then he starts asking me about, you know, what about the password for, um, you know, for your government laptop? I need that. And I'm like, I can't give you that. That's against the law. Mm-hmm. It's not my piece of equipment. It's not my information. Uh, that is government information on that computer. Tell you what, contact the VA. They can. They have admin rights to that computer. They can give you admin rights to that computer, and then you can get all the access that you want. But he was like adamant that I had to give it to him, and I felt like he was setting me up. You know, mm-hmm. because if I had given him that information, I would have been violating 
uh, non-disclosure agreements and and uh, privilege user access agreements that I had signed. I'm like, look, you can go to the VA and they can give you that, but I can't. Well, there's right, no right telling now, what I'm he might have done with that equipment once he had access with your username right. and login. He could have he could have set right. you up in a much worse way, you know, well, not only the the app. It, up and up to this point, I still had faith in the FBI. Okay, so I mean, I, you know, but but I I just I didn't feel right about it. Something didn't feel right. And then he started asking me about you know access to um, the password to my laptops, and I'm like, look, I think we're done talking. I said, look, I have a lawyer. I told you, I gave you his card. I gave you his information. Contact my lawyer, please. I think that's the best thing to do. And I was very polite about it. I was never rude ever. And he got pissed at me, and he was like, you know. You know, at that point, he just kind of hung up abruptly with me. Well, after that, uh, he ensured that my information got leaked. Mm. And um, and so uh, I got my lawyer got a call from um, from a reporter. Um, oh, what was his name? Richard Pollock, I think, with the Daily Caller. Yes. And and he called him up, uh, called up my lawyer, said, hey, I've got a source. Uh, and I don't remember which newspaper it was. It was either like the Washington Post or the New York Times, one of the main, you know, one of the main papers. And he said, "Um, I've got a source on the inside of one of these papers that uh, told me that they're getting ready to go um, to, you know, come out with a, an article about your client, uh, Dennis Nathan Kane, and they're going to accuse him of stealing government property. And they're going to say all kinds of terrible things about him. And, uh, you know, I would like to know if you would like to get your story out, before they publish their story, I'll interview you right now and you give me an exclusive and I'll put it out, you know, tonight. So my lawyer calls me up and tells me what's going on. And he's like, look, I would never normally advise on this, but I think in this situation, I think we need to do it. So that was when the daily caller published the story and, uh, and they put it out that night. And uh, my lawyer talked about, you know, all of the rules, basically the FBI had violated by, you know, going and trying to get my information after I told them that I was, you know, um, I had a lawyer and, you know, they, they basically violated several, you know, of their own, you know, policies and, um, you know, and they were really skirting the line, you know, with, uh, you know, with, with all kinds of, um, violations of the law. So, um, you know, it was, and the fact that they were harassing me as a protective whistleblower that in and of itself was a big deal. So two things happened after this. One thing that happened was um, this particular agent went on the rampage. I mean, he basically started talking to my neighbors, to my friends, to my you know son's girlfriend and parents, uh, to uh, people that we you know I was sat on the board at the you know the 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 band board with for our kids' school, you know, and and started. He never said that I did anything, but he would ask like leading questions. Have you ever seen Mr. Kane? You know, uh, you know. Um, you know, uh, have you ever seen Mr. Kane uh, talk bad about the government? You know, have you ever seen him with guns, you know, laying around, you know, at his house? Have you ever, uh, have you ever seen him um, be inappropriate with his daughter? And they, he, he would, they were doing these kinds of things, you know, trying to yeah. basically cause suspicion in other people's minds. And so, of course, you know, we had a lot of friends that, you know, they, they were never rude or mean to us, but they, you know, they were like, I don't blame them. They didn't want to get involved with the FBI. So, you know, we kind of got cut off from a lot of our friends mm-hmm. and isolated. And, um, and then, then they, they made sure that this agent made sure and told the, cause when it was 
basically I had been on administrative leave with pay for a while. And the VA asked if uh, my company asked if they could bring me back. And the VA said, well, you know, you could bring them back, but you know, uh, and because they, they went to ask the FBI and the FBI said, well, we wouldn't hire him back. You know, we think that would be a terrible idea. This guy's a threat to the country, blah, blah, blah. And the only reason I even know these things is because my supervisor actually told me what the FBI had told them. And, um, and, and basically, yeah, the FBI made sure that I didn't get hired. So the VA, they took the stance of, well, we don't want to deal with this. So they told the prime contractor, yeah, if you want to bring them back, that's fine. Because legally they had no right to get rid of me, and they'd are, the VA was already in trouble for firing whistleblowers, if you remember. Yes. And so they they told the prime contractor, they said, "Well, you know, you can bring him back, but you have to assume full responsibility for him." And the prime contractor, what do they care about a subprime, you know, employee? So they they basically told the subprime, "Yeah, we don't want him back, so you can cut him loose." So, um, so anyways, you know, I never had my clearance suspended. I never you know, was arrested. I never was charged. Uh, I never had, because I didn't commit any crime. And that's the key here. I did everything by the book to the best of my ability. I didn't, you know, take that information and, you know, I didn't even go to the press with it. I, I wished, you know, in retrospect, maybe it would have had some, you know, impact there, but, but I knew that doing that would be a death sentence on my clearance and that would, you know, and I wasn't going to about to go and, and do that. So, um, so I took it, through proper channels to get it into the hands of the right people. And, um, um, you know, the next, you know, so basically all of this, this stuff that was going on with, with the FBI uh, harassing me, I finally got sick of it. And, and um, I don't know if you remember, but there was a, there was a Q post that talked about, uh, said uh, it was addressed to me. Yeah. And it, and it said, go to Grassley, um, uh, go to Grassley or go to, um, Oh gosh, why am I having a brain fart here? Um, he's now the, well, he was the, he basically took over, uh, Grassley's position as the, um, the, the, as the uh, chairman of the, uh, he took over for the, uh, uh, the chairman of the judicial committee in the Senate. Um, a lot of people think he's a rhino, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, I can't, can't remember. Oh, Lindsey Graham. So he said, go to, go to Grassley or Lindsey Graham's office. They, and both of them were on that committee. And so that committee is very powerful. A lot of people don't understand that. Um, you know, they directly affect the budget and stuff like that, you know, within the department of justice. And so, uh, and both of those guys have, have a history of backing up and protecting whistleblowers. They're very, very much for whatever anybody might say negatively about Lindsey Graham and, um, you know, he is, has been a big, big supporter of whistleblowers. So I contacted Lindsey Graham's office because he had just taken over the chairmanship from um, Chuck Grassley. And they had me come down there. I met with his, uh, his investigative counsel and my lawyer, with my lawyer present. I shared with them everything that had happened, including all the harassment. And I don't know what was done. I don't know what was said. But like within a week, everything stopped. All the harassment stopped. And my life finally started, you know, getting back to normal. But so much damage was done that it, it created, um, you know, uh, a lot of tension and, um, you know, created some problems in, in, with the relationship I had with, with one of my sons. Uh, it created, you know, I think some mental health 
trauma and PTSD for, you know, uh, for a couple of my other kids, you know, who experienced all of this stuff and saw me going through this, who thought I was going to be assassinated. My, my oldest son, I remember we, we had tickets that somebody had given us to go see a, a baseball game in Baltimore. And my son was like freaking out when we walked into the ballpark because there were buildings surrounding it. And he was afraid somebody was going to try to assassinate. And so, you know, there was all these things that happened. I got, you know, poisoned a couple of times, um, you know, and I don't know for sure, you know, how that happened, but, um, but we have suspicion that they're, you know, they're one day I walked out to the bar and I reached out the door handle and there was some, wet, you know, kind of like gel under my door handle. And within, you know, two hours, you know, later I'm in the emergency room, you know, having complete neurological problems that look identical to a stroke. Mm-hmm. So there were things like that that occurred. And so there was a lot of, um, I think PTSD, you know, that, that came out of this for everybody in the family. Um, eventually we had to move, you know, we couldn't stay there. Uh, you know, there were, with some, some guy shows up at our house with a camera and, you know, he's like videoing my address and videoing, you know, my, where I live and videoing me coming into my house. And, um, you know, it just put, put us completely into a you know position of having to feel like we were living in fear. But ultimately it was God that got us through all of that. And a lot, a lot of prayer and a lot of support from people in our church. And like I said, people, you know, um, you know, in the, the, uh, the truth community. So, so that is basically the story in a nutshell. Um, since then, you know, basically nothing happened, you know, the, nothing occurred in terms of, you know, investigations further into it. Um, I think everybody, you know, saw, uh, what happened with Huber's investigation It basically, I think was just a distraction and they decided not to do anything. And, and I see a consistent pattern, um, with this in the department of justice and particularly in the FBI. And, um, so this is, you know, getting into some things that now, you know, go beyond that. So, you know, my name, of course, was known, and I didn't know this, but apparently, you know, I have a redacted file, you know, within the, uh, within the White House. And um, so I got asked to come down. Um, well, first, it started with my lawyer contacting me, and he'd been asked to, you know, do a legal brief on election stuff, you know, related specifically to a law. Um, that had to deal with the um, um, electronic voting machines, something called HAVA. Well, my background, you know, I had a long history of working in uh, interpreting, uh, you know, basically the cyber regulations and, and stuff like that related to, to elect, you know, to government machines and auditing them. So he asked for my opinion and uh, he asked me if I could, you know, help him and understand the stuff because he's not a cyber guy. And so I read through HAVA. And, uh, and then I wrote, you know, basically, a, a you know, paper on my interpretation of what these things mean, and how it impacts the system. And is there anything that is a problem you know, that's problematic here in, in this election? And so I came back and I said, Yeah, there is. I said, there's two major areas here. One is the uh, uh, something called the error rate. And the error rate is um, significant because these systems get certified in a lab. And uh, that lab is, uh, they have to meet very strict standards, you know, for the rate of error. And I said, if that error rate is, you know, 
it's basically it's one in 500,000 ballot positions. That is all that is allowed. If you have an error rate that's higher than that, then the whole thing has to be you know thrown out. Basically, they can't use that machine. And so, so the that was important because um, I think at, uh, at that point um, there was already news reports that were coming out that some of these machines were having problems. That you know people would punch in a number and it would, or they would they would select something on the tablet and and then it would show up something else on the ballot. And there was one particular case um, that I found in the news because I went to go see if there was anything. And in Oakland County, Michigan, they had a case there where uh, basically the they announced who the winner was, and then they had to they went and did a hand recount. And when they did a hand recount, they had to completely reverse, you know, the election results. It was a total flip, and and so the whole strictness of that one in five hundred thousand ballot positions is designed specifically in order to make it impossible for there to be a software related error to cause a uh, you know an election malfunction of these machines. It's only allows for a hardware error. So, so I thought, you know, that's right there. That's very suspicious. You know, that's very problematic. And so I brought that up. And then I also, um, um, you know, I, I brought up a, a couple of other, you know, other things that probably needed to be looked at. And, and, um, and so he, you know, then put it all, put all of my words and basically legalese, you know, so that, it, you know, lawyers can understand it and submitted that to, you know, um, this group that was looking into things for the white house. And that group happened to be Peter Navarro's group. Okay. So Peter Navarro had basically, you know, was putting together, um, you know, and, and I don't want to say he was putting together, but he had basically had, you know, I think was having some other people put together, you know, some of these teams and stuff. And at that time there were other teams coming together. Some were being funded by Mike Lindell. Others were being funded by Patrick Byrne. Uh, those were the two major sources of, you know, funds. And then you had uh, Rudy Giuliani's team. And, um, and then I got added to a team of two other guys and, and it, here's how it happened. I got asked, uh, you know, my lawyer calls me back and says, Hey, uh, somebody from the white house is going to call you. Um, and they're going to ask you to come down to, um, Steve Bannon's office down in DC. And, uh, so I, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'd be honored to go down there. Cause I'm thinking I'm just going to go down and explain things, you know, in, you know, in more detail. So I get down there and I meet Steve Bannon and some other people I actually never met, um, you know, Peter Navarro, which is hilarious because, uh, uh, I don't know why, but he didn't make it that day cause he had something else he was doing. And, um, but, uh, there were two aides of his that, uh, that I did meet. And, um, so, you know, and they just basically were asking if we would share, you know, whatever information we found, you know, with them. So, you know, I was like, of course. But then I get told, okay, I'm sorry, packed. Are you ready to go? And I'm like, what do you mean packed, ready to go? I have a job. You know, what are you, what are you talking about? And they said, well, you know, we, we want you to join a team. And uh, so, you know, of course, we were promised, you know, oh, yeah, you know, you'll, you'll get paid. Don't worry. You'll be compensated. And I, so I just said, well, you know, I do have some vacation time, um, you know, so I guess I can take couple weeks vacation and uh you know and use that so uh i put in for vacation and uh and then you know two weeks turned into you know one and a half months almost two months of living out of a hotel and you know basically you know working my butt off harder than i've ever worked working you know putting in 
you know, 12 to 18 hour days, you know, researching and, uh, you know, talking to lawyers and giving statements and, you know, doing all kinds of things that, you know, were related to investigating uh, the election. And <clears throat> we ended up uh, at a hotel, um, the Gateway uh, Hotel in Arlington. Um, and uh, Sydney Powell had been staying there and then she had some death threats. And so she like vacated that hotel and she had a suite that was, you know, up there. And so um, our team just kind of moved into that suite. And of course, you know, we brought in guys that sweep for, you know, bugs and things like that. And the first thing they did is they went in there and they found, you know, we found like two um, phones, you know, that basically were, were being used, you know, to, to listen in on conversations happening in that room, which I found very interesting because that's wow. pretty high tech. So, um, so we disabled all the phones we went out, we, you know, we basically spent our, used our own money to go out and, and purchase equipment and to, um, you know, to, to create a secure network that was completely air gapped so that we could work on stuff without any fear of, you know, being hacked. And, um, long story short, we ended up, uh, producing a lot of really good information that we handed over to, um, Peter Navarro's group. And while we were there, at some point it became obvious. I think it was like that two week period, you know, had kind of gone by and it was clear that the RNC was not going to fund, you know, any investigations. I mean, they're collecting money like crazy there. In oh. fact, I even gave them a thousand dollars. They, they contacted me and they're like, Hey, you know, will you give us money? Help us fight this election fraud. And I'm like, of course I wrote out a check for a thousand, you know, a thousand dollars. Did I get, uh, you know, any help at all from them? No, no, they didn't help us at all. Uh, they was a complete fraud. In fact, I think they should be investigated for charity fraud. I agree. But, um, <laughs> but we, we, uh, you know, we, we worked our butts off. We, uh, I eventually, you know, I took a leave of absence without pay. Um, you know, much to my, you know, to my employers, you know, chagrin because they needed me. I was actually, you know, working on major projects, cybersecurity projects related to, you know, national security for the Navy. And, uh, you know, but, but I felt like this was important. You know, elections are critically important. So, um, you know, I, at this hotel on the second floor of the hotel, um, there was a, a lawyer by the name of Phil Klein. And uh, he was working for a nonprofit organization, um, the Amistad Project, uh, part of the Thomas More Society. And, uh, and he was doing really good work. And, uh, and that was one thing I was very impressed we met him actually kind of by accident, um, our team did. And um, so myself and, and one of my colleagues ended up um, uh, kind of getting integrated with a lot of what they were doing. Again, we were just volunteering our time at this point. Um, we tried to raise a little bit of funds. We were able to raise some funds, at least to kind of cover some of the expenses, but it wasn't even enough to pay for, you know, like all of the hotel bills and everything. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. But what we ended up with was um, we ended up, uh, I ended up writing a testimony, uh, giving basically written testimony as a expert witness uh, on several cases, including the one that went before the Supreme Court that they basically rejected. It was clear that nobody in the courts wanted to be involved in overturning an election, even if the election was completely illegitimate. They just mm -hmm. weren't going to see it. Out of 58 cases that were brought before courts, not a single one of them even held a hearing. That right there tells you a lot. 
And so we were kind of up against the political, you know, nobody wanted to stick their neck out. Nobody wanted to, you know, to put it out there. And then on top of that, the other thing that we were working against was you had groups that were well-funded that were, you know, getting a lot of, um, media attention, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, the, the Mike Lindell's group, um, Sidney Powell's group, uh, Rudy Giuliani's group, they were getting all kinds of attention and they were getting money. And unfortunately, um, I think they were going after the wrong thing. You know, they were going after, you know, somebody hacking the election. And while that may have happened, proving it is a whole nother game. And I know that as a cybersecurity expert to prove, you know, something like that, it's not enough to prove that the machines were hacked. You got to prove who hacked them. And that's next to impossible to do if you don't have the machines that were, you know, first off, you don't have the machines that were supposedly hacked, which nobody ever got a hold of because nobody was willing to allow them to be inspected. But then the other thing was, um, and there was only like maybe a couple of cases that, you know, where they actually did look at machines, but it was, you know, wasn't enough. Um, the other thing is, is that they didn't have the machines that supposedly the hack happened from. And there was all kinds of stories that were going on. People talking about, oh, Leonardo and Italy and, you know, and Hamburg and gunfights and all this other crap. And I felt like all of that was distractions. And, uh, and then I found out some things that were kind of interesting that kind of led me to believe that some of that actually may have been planted by the FBI mm. in order to discredit it later. And, uh, and somebody got embedded, um, on one of the teams, um, you know, with, uh, one of the, one of the teams that was, you know, doing stuff. And, well, to be uh, fair, I think, I think maybe on two different teams, I mean, I think so with Lindell and on Sydney's team. I mean, some stuff has recently come out without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. With her supposed expert, um, you know, was apparently just like a mechanic or something like that. Didn't have anything to do with cybersecurity. Yep. So I think um, there was some of that going on. Uh, there was a there was a guy, and I, I don't want to give too much of the details on it because I haven't asked permission uh, to re- reveal this information. But um, let's just say that there was a guy who was purporting to have information and was you know offering to give this information up. And uh, uh, if you guys remember, there was supposed to be a big old reveal, you know, um, you know that Lindell's team was going to give, and then all of a sudden it kind of like didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And the reason it didn't happen was because, you know, some people found out, you know, that there was a guy who was, uh, you know, was basically a, an FBI informant that was on their team. And, um, you know, and so, you know, the guy was probably trying to set up Mike Lindell and, um, you know, to, to take information that might not have been legally, you know, gotten. And you don't, it doesn't even have to be real information. That's the thing. You can get charged you know, with intent. Right. And so, um, but anyways, it it just seems like, like there was a lot of that going on. So one of the main arguments that I was making, and actually I got this argument, um, the idea of the error rate thing was important and I knew it was important, but I didn't know how to translate that that to lawyers. And I I did my best, but um, it wasn't until a little bit later um, when I, I actually got contacted through Twitter by a former appellate judge um, in a state that I'm not going to name because I don't want to out this guy. Um, but he was a former appellate judge and was now working, um, as a prosecutor, um, for the state. And he, um, shared with me some very interesting information. 
And he's, you know, I told him my entire information about the, the, the uh, error rate and that whole thing. And he said to me, he said, that is the most important piece of information. And he says, and I'm not hearing anybody talking about it. He said, here's why it's important because every judge has dealt with something called void ab initio. And what he said was that void ab initio, the best way to describe it to a lawyer, because they'll understand it, is that if a person is being charged with drunk driving and they go into court, the arresting officer has to bring with him um, the, the, basically the certificate that shows that the machine that read his, the, the alcohol reading, yeah. uh, he has to bring the information that shows that that machine was calibrated to within certain specifications and time. If that information, uh, if that certificate is invalid, then the whole case gets thrown out. And the mm-hmm. reason is because you can't trust the information. He says that is exactly what's going on here with these machines. If there is any error rate that exceeds the allowable error rate, then it's void of an issue. It's void from the beginning. That's what the Latin term means. So we tried to bring this, this argument before um, we tried to get this information to the president through uh, Peter Navarro's office. But by this time, uh, the president was being completely you know, insulated yeah. because I think he was beginning to see that there were some problems with the different groups that were working on stuff and quite frankly, didn't want to be, you know, too closely associated with it. And so he had lawyers, you know, that were protecting him, you know, and, and I get it, but unfortunately this argument never, I don't think, I don't know if it ever crossed his, his uh, plate. So, uh, so December, uh, Christmas came around, uh, we all went home, but there's one big piece that I want to share uh, with your viewers tonight, because I think this is a big deal right now. And it's the reason I called you and, and asked to come on your show. So while I was working with Phil Klein, um, many of you will remember there was a truck driver by the name of Jesse who um, had reportedly carried a truckload of ballots. Okay. And they figured it was about, you know, a hundred thousand, you know, in just that one load based on the size of the, um, the containers that were carrying the ballots. And uh, he supposedly brought these from a postal um, uh, office in Bethpage, New York, across the border into Pennsylvania. And then that, that truck, that uh, container um, basically disappeared. And uh, so there's an interesting story about that because I was intimately involved with that, in, you know, with that case um, the case had already been being had been investigated by uh, uh, by a, a couple of people working uh, for Phil Klein at that time, um, and and I I was you know given privy to that information because we were helping them with some of their other cases and stuff. And one of the things that they they had been able to do they had been able to verify all the information that Jesse had said from the point of when he left the you know, the, the post office, like when his next stop, they were able to verify that he was there at that next stop for a period of time waiting. And then they can ver- they were able to verify that he dropped the truck, you know, off at this other place, but they never were able to verify, um, you know, the, the witness testimony of the woman who worked at the, and that was important because there was a woman who worked at the, um, the mail sorting center and it was a parcel sorting center. So it wasn't, they didn't deal with mail. They only dealt with parcels and that's important, but, they had talked to um, uh, they had 
they tried to find this woman. They were never able to, never able to find her. And, um, so I went down, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at the hotel and there's a PF Chang's like right across the street. And so, uh, me and my colleagues, you know, we went down, uh, to PF Chang's and we're having dinner and, you know, I just bowed my head and I'm praying. And as I'm praying and I said, amen. And, and I just like, I clearly heard this voice in my head say, you need to call. And I'm not going to name them because I haven't asked their permission, but these two investigators that I happen to know who have ties to law enforcement. And he says, you need to call these guys and they need to be brought in on this. And so I'm like, and I'd never spoken to these guys. Okay. They followed me on Twitter. I followed them. We had some mutual interests in the whole, you know, uh, Clinton thing. And um, so I, I reached out to them on Twitter and I got a response back. And so I said, Hey, can I call you? And I got a phone number. So I called and I was like, dude, this is going to sound weird. I know you guys don't know me, but look, um, I was just praying. And I think I heard God tell me I need to call you guys. I'm working on some investigation stuff in the election. And I think you guys are supposed to look into this and you're supposed to be here. They got on a plane and they were there the next day and they came down and what they did was amazing. Like literally within like three to four days, not only did they talk to the woman, they got a confession from her via text, you know, uh, email or a text message. They got a confession from her. Um, the guy tracked down the guy who brought the ballots into the, um, in the mail and into the parcel sorting uh, center. Uh, that guy had all kinds of, of, um, uh, Antifa and BLM, you know, stuff all over his social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the guy's friends on his social media happened to be a guy who owned a printing shop about seven miles outside of Beth page, who also had all kinds of BLM and, and Antifa stuff all over his social media. And he contacted that office, spoke to a woman there, uh, who said, you know, he basically, you know, pretended to be somebody interested in, you know, getting some things, you know, and he, he gave some dimensions and stuff like that that are similar to the ballot and, you know, how many he needed printed and all of this stuff. And she confirmed 100% that, yeah, they could do that. And then he, you know, contacted uh, later and spoke to the guy that he thought was, you know, the bad actor. And the guy was like, oh, no, we, we don't, we can't do any kind of that. You know, we, we can't do any of that kind of printing. So he, he knew he was onto something. So, and he was doing more research. He found out that that printing company had ties to another printing company in Michigan, which was suspected of, of fraudulently printing ballots there. And both those companies happened to be a subsidiary of the same company. So at this point, he came in to Phil Klein's office and he said, look, I started off just helping you out with this and looking into some things, but you know, he says, I have a fiduciary duty because he still has ties to law enforcement, federal government. He said, I can't ignore this. I have to bring the FBI in on this. So there were meetings that were had with Bill Barr, uh, with FBI agents, with um, U.S. attorneys. And these meetings took place. And I know because some of these meetings were conference, conference called into, and I was in the room in Phil Klein's office listening to Bill Barr being briefed on some of this stuff. Okay. So when Bill Barr comes up, before Congress. And he says, I've seen no widespread, uh, you know, evidence of, I've seen no evidence of widespread uh, voter fraud. He is lying. 
he is 100% lying to the American people and lying to Congress. When um, uh, this January 6th committee would just held the uh, uh, committee hearings, and there was a guy by the name of uh, Richard Donahue. And uh, I'll be honest, I'd never heard of the guy before, but it turns out um, after Bill Barr left, uh, he left in December of 2020. Um, Deputy AG uh, uh, Richard Donahue, he ends up basically taking over, you know, the AG activities while, you know, while they're getting ready to replace uh, Bill Barr with Merrick Garland. Okay. So for, from December to March, March 11th, Merrick Garland was appointed as the AG. Uh, this guy, Richard Donahue, you know, is in charge. And Richard Donahue is a guy who, you know, basically hates Trump, doesn't like him, doesn't, you know, want to help Trump out at all. And um, so he says, to the January 6th committee, oh, yeah, we sent guys up there. Because remember, he was asked by Congress, um, by the Republicans, you know, what about this truck driver? And he goes, oh, yeah, we sent guys up there. We sent some agents up there to interview uh, people, and they took notes, and they went up and interviewed people. And, and they found that, you know, it was just uh, there was nothing to the story, that it was, you know, it was incorrect. And then he goes on to say, and I don't know if the guy believed the stuff that he was saying or not. You know, he's really careful to not, like, Millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's www.naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. NaturalHempOil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.NaturalHempOil.com. That's www.NaturalHempOil.com. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Between mass shootings, homicides, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjacking, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight includes an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope and wire cutter, siren, high and low LED lighting mode, and much more. Simply place your order now to get 66% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.fighterflare.com. Order now at www.fighterflare.com www.fighterflare.com
human catastrophe is closing in. Nobody knows how far this one is going to go. You can feel the heat as tension is rising globally. War is expensive. Open a Noble Gold Investments IRA today, and you can claim a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin. Just use the promo code GOLD. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com now. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. Basically put that guy in a position of, you know, being arrested for lying to the FBI, right? You know? So he's got to do that because he's got to protect himself. But he flat out lied to the January 6th committee. They didn't investigate. They shut that investigation down. In fact, the guys that, that, um, that I asked to come on there that went up there and investigated, they were putting together a team uh, of FBI agents um, with a, uh, with a, a, a U.S. attorney, um, and also with the um, with the uh, uh, postmaster general, because uh, the postmaster general has his own investigative team. So all, all of this was coming together, and then all of a sudden, everything gets shut down. Now, for the longest time, I thought that it was shut down because there was a conflict of interest between the the U.S. attorney out of the Eastern District of New York, uh, which was um, Durham Jr. Mm-hmm. Or uh, and and the other guy um, out of uh, Pennsylvania, uh, whose name is um, something or other, I can't remember off the top of my head. But basically, since then, this guy has come out. The guy out of Pennsylvania has come out and said, "Look, I was told by Bill Barr to stand down." Now, I was told that when I left, I was told that basically uh, Barr Jr. Uh, Bill, sorry, not Bill Barr, um, Bill uh, John Durham Jr was supposedly getting everything going. And then this guy out of Pennsylvania stepped in to take the case and it created a parallel investigation. And so the, you know, Durham Jr. had to drop it and it went to the guy in Pennsylvania. But now the Pennsylvania guy says that Bill Barr told him to stand down and to shut down that investigation. So what the hell is going on? Clearly that was the best lead of, of fraud evidence that happened. And here's the kicker. It's not just fraud. It's not just counterfeiting, but it's also theft because every single one of those pieces of mail came through there without getting paid for because mm-hmm. they don't have the OCR machines. Now, this is how, you know, you know, like God planned for you to be where you are in your life. What do I know about mail operations? Well, it just so happens that my first job out of high school was working for my father who happened to own a mail sorting center that processed mail for the U.S. post office at a processing center. And they basically metered and posted mail, and then they would sort it with these OCR machines that would read the mail, and they would put a barcode on it, and then it would get you know, put in trays and, and shipped, you know, shipped out. And the, the, the post office can't do everybody's mail, so they, 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 um, they oftentimes will contract out to subcontractors to do it for them. My dad had a company. He owned a company doing that. So I happen to know a little bit about this whole process. So in that barcode is all the information you need to know about where it was metered. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so getting any piece of mail from there would have proven. Okay. That that piece of mail was, did not originate in Pennsylvania, that that ballot did not originate in Pennsylvania. All they have to do is look at the barcodes on all of these ballots that were mailed in. Any ballots that were mailed in, they could simply look at the barcode and they could tell you exactly where it came from. 
simple piece of you know information there that nobody ever looked into. So, um, so there are still major corruption, clearly, you know, that is happening in, in, you know, in our government, unfortunately. And here's, you know, the thing that's crazy about all this is that what I actually, you know, a lot of people refer to me as the Uranium One whistleblower. The truth is, I didn't blow the whistle on Uranium One. I blew the whistle on the FBI's cover-up of Clinton's crimes, okay? Because the FBI had the evidence. And then they just made it go away. Mm-hmm. They shut it down. In fact, not only did they shut it down, but going back as far as the Obama administration, because I actually had documents that were office of the executive of, of the president or executive office of the president documents, briefing reports that went to Obama that he was briefed on by the director of the FBI that laid out some of these things going on with the Russians trying to infiltrate our uranium supply chain. And then all of a sudden, you know, Uranium One gets approved. You know, so there was a lot of stuff that was going on there. But what I blew the whistle on was was actually the charge was obstruction of justice. I had basically uh, made a claim that that uh, and my claim was made against um, it was made against uh, uh, Comey. It was made against Michael Atkinson and. Um, and it was made against Robert Mueller, who happened to be the FBI director at the time that the Uranium One stuff was all going down. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I made, I would have added Rod Rosenstein to that, um, but I couldn't because I knew that he may end up having to read that stuff and approving it. And I knew if I threw him in there, and of course, he's not going to look at it, or he's going to, you know, smash it or squash it. So, so I took him off of it, and I just kept um, Mueller uh, Comey and Mike Atkinson. And I put those guys on there because they all had knowledge and they said nothing. They did nothing. Uh, they basically effectively obstructed justice. And, um, and so I had a real problem with them. And, um, but that's, that is in a nutshell, that is basically, you know, everything. And the, the thing is, is to this day, what bothers me is that the election integrity stuff, if I was still working for the FBI, I would be compelled to blow the whistle on Bill Barr, on the U.S. attorneys who did nothing and said nothing until it was you know, politically expedient for them to do so. Um, you know, on the, um, you know, on the, the, you know, basically all of the people in the Department of Justice on this uh, Donahue, um, you know, Richard Donahue guy. I would have to blow the whistle on all those guys for obstructing justice into this investigation and that page. So, you know, there needs, look, nothing's going to happen. We all know nothing is going to happen as long as the Democrats are in charge. It's not going to, they're not going to ever, because it's, it's not going to benefit them in a way it's going to, and if anything, it's going to damage them. But when the Republicans take over the house and the Senate, and I believe they will, when they take it over, they must open up an investigation into this and hold hearings. And they, ha- I mean, they have to, and they need to get the IGs involved. Uh, you know, and I'm talking specifically about this Beth Page issue because that is a serious crime. You're talking hundreds of thousands of ballots. Now, if Pennsylvania, just Pennsylvania alone had gone to Trump, that would have been enough. That would have been enough. 100,000 ballots 
was more than enough to change the outcome of that election. Mm-hmm. So I believe what they were doing, this is my, my belief, and I don't know for certain, but I believe what they were doing was that they staged counterfeit ballots all across the country, and they had them in private, you know, secret locations. And because of these drop boxes, they had the ability to monitor what was going on. Now, was there hacking in the election? Clearly, they had access to the results as they were coming in. Now, whether it was hacking or whether they were just using the same thing that the journalists use, which is this, uh, you know, basically this uh, uh, like Dropbox page or whatever that gives information for the, the media to know what the numbers are, they had access to that. Okay. And I think that they, and, it, and it's clear that, that there was the, the voter rolls were inflated in many states. And I know this because I worked with, um, I got asked to do some work for, uh, uh, for the, um, Wisconsin, um, uh, former, uh, uh, Supreme court justice in, in Wisconsin, um, Gableman. And yeah, so I, I did some work for him. And one of the things that we found out was that, uh, the voter rolls were majorly inflated prior to the election. And then after the election, like immediately after election, the voter rolls were cleared. Like they were, you know, a whole bunch of them were scrubbed out of them. Okay. So I think what they did was they inflated the voter rolls. They had all these counterfeit ballots created. When they shut down at the night, you know, the night that, that they was clear that Trump was winning, they had to shut everything down, send everybody home. They brought in all of these counterfeit ballots. They read them through the machines. Okay. And, and then they, uh, they basically, you know, we wake up in the morning. Oh, all these races that Trump was winning handedly now have been flipped. And they knew exactly how many they needed to switch, you know, without having to, you know, look too bad. You know what I'm saying? So like they had these, like, basically like a, like a, a, like a credit card of, of voters that they could just, you know, load it as much as they needed. And the worst part about it is, is that a lot of people, what about, they get recounts in a lot of these places. Yeah, but a recount doesn't validate that any of those voters are valid voters. It only validates that the machine read it correctly. That's it. It's it's so like it's not it's like counting a bag of counterfeit money and saying that's we're right. supposed to have twenty thousand dollars here. And as a result of counting this money, I can yeah. show that we have twenty thousand dollars. But that says yep. nothing about the legitimacy or yeah. the legality of that's that right. cash. Yeah. So so any of your viewers who watched um, uh, 2000 Mules, OK, you see that if you saw that movie, you will understand perfectly how this happened. They had hundreds of thousands of ballots strategically placed throughout the states that were pre-printed counterfeit. This is what I believe happened. And they were monitoring the elections through the, um, through the poll books so they could see how many people were voting. They could see, you know, what the results were coming back. And uh, they basically went in, they shut everything down at midnight. They said, we're going to come back and finish counting in the morning. And then in the morning, all of these ballots, you know, media, you know, just magically show up, and they had the right numbers in order to push it over, you know, to to Biden. So a lot of people have said, well, you know, this election is, you know, fraudulent. So, you know, we need to just turn it over, and you know, and and, and there's been a lot of things. And I knew that January sixth was going to be a setup, and I just I had a bad feeling about it. I had seen too much already of the FBI, you know, their shenanigans, and now it looks. It's clear that the FBI had agents involved in that, or they had, uh, you know, basically uh, people on their payroll who were agitating. 
Um, you know, this January 6th committee is a hoax, the whole thing. So this is, you know, there's another piece to this too that um, I don't know if anybody's ever talked about. But in my investigations into things, do you guys remember there was a guy by the name Chris Krebs? Uh, oh, yes. He was the director director of the uh, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, this CISA. Yep. CISA has direct authority over electronic voting machines and all of that. So for about a, I want to say it was like six months to a year prior to the election, they had a campaign of where they were putting out regular public service announcements that were joint CISA FBI public service announcements stating, Hey, look, when this election's over, you know, people are going to, um, you know, they're going to, uh, uh, Russians are going to, you know, try to infiltrate and try to say, you know, spread uh, false information that the, you know, that the voting machines, you know, were were hacked, and you know they're going to say these things, do all these things, and and you know you need to know that now that that's you know that's that's uh you know that's what we're hearing in our from our intelligence agencies. So they were prepping already, prepping the media, prepping the people to to believe that any challenge to the election was Russian propaganda. That's what they were pushing out ahead of time they were pre-planting you know this this you know media narrative and um the the worst part about it was when uh, chris krebs gets up there and in front of congress and he says you know this election was the most secure election in american history you know and that's right then you know i was like this guy is so full of crap yep there's no reason that this guy should be the director of cisa let alone you know, telling this garbage, you know, to Congress and anybody that believes him is a fool. So, um, so there was, I believe that, that, that to me tells me that long before the election occurred, I believe that there were bad actors within government, uh, within CISA, maybe within the FBI that were planting a narrative ahead of time that were prepping for January 6th so that they could then arrest people and put them in jail without, you know, any due, you know, process. I mean, and these people are afforded by the constitution, a speedy trial, and it's been 400 and something, was it 460 something days? Mm -hmm. And you got people that haven't even had their day in court yet, yet they've been given no bail. They've been locked up in solitary. They've been refused us. Uh, you know, they've been suspended their, you know, habeas corpus, not being allowed to speak to attorneys. I mean, this is a, this is a travesty, what is happening in our country right now. And if people don't wake up and realize that they need to be talking to their congressmen, they need to be talking to their senators and telling them that they better grow a backbone and put an end to this stuff, you know, or they're going to lose their positions in the next election. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, is what we are seeing right now is exactly the kind of nonsense that happened to communist Russia, that happens today in communist China. This is the kind of stuff where basically the political opposition gets arrested and thrown in prison for simply voicing their grievances. You know, a lot of people forget the Constitution in the First Amendment implicitly states that one of the reasons that we have a right to free speech is so that we can gather to make our grievances known to our government. That is exactly what happened on January 6th. Was there a riot? Yes. Should there have been people that were arrested for rioting? Absolutely. You know, should people have been fined for, you know, going into the Capitol, uh, you know, when, 
you know, and interrupting a proceeding? Certainly. Except for the ones that were allowed in by the cops, those ones shouldn't have been. Right. Unless they were warned by the police. So there's so much going on here that doesn't make any sense. That seems, you know, very suspicious. And, and Americans have a right to be suspicious of their government. In fact, the moment that Americans stop being suspicious of anybody who has power and authority over them is the moment that, honestly, they deserve to be, you know, to lose their freedoms. Because freedom isn't free. It's something that we have to maintain. And the only way that we maintain it is by staying informed and being vocal about it and doing our part. You know, look, I served my country in the Army, and I served it because there's something that I believe in in this country, freedom. I didn't serve my country to see what I see today. It disgusts me what I see today. So I'll tell you, if there's anything I've learned in the last couple of months, it's that that our founders were wise enough to understand that we needed to have a separation of powers. The Supreme Court has done some great things, you know, in the last month. And I thank God for them. And I pray for them daily. We all need to be praying for them because these guys, man, you know, there are people, evil people out there that want to do harm to them. And look, I have no faith whatsoever in the current administration, particularly, you know, the uh, FBI. But I do believe there are good agents there. There's no doubt in my mind. And they're stuck in a, you know, between a rock and a hard place. And I, I appeal to anybody at the FBI or at justice that is listening. You have a solemn duty. You swore an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution. If you see something or you know something, you cannot stay silent about it. And if you're afraid of risking your family, risking your career, risking, you know, whatever, I understand. Believe me, I understand. You know, few people probably understand that more than I do. But if you have faith in God, you have to believe that he will defend you if you do the right thing. He defended me, and I'm telling you, he will defend you. So I'm begging you to please do the right thing. You know, Nate, the great irony is that the safety and security of people's families and their jobs— It isn't going to matter much when the country is gone. It doesn't matter at all once we've lost these things, because if they do go away, then there's absolutely no chance of us getting them back. Clearly, this was an orchestrated plan that began a long time ago, and they set it into motion slowly, covertly over time. uh, And they kept these criminal networks open and operating inside the United States government so that when such a time came as the 2020 election, they would be able to implement all of these things and ensure the removal of Donald Trump and uh, the quelling of our free speech and so much else here in this country. Um, We are going to be opening the phones here in just a moment. And Nate, obviously, I've interviewed you multiple times before. I know how you are. And when you've got things that you need to get out, I like to let you get them out. So I'm certain that the audience is going to have some questions for you. What I'm most interested in from your initial whistleblowing activity is the terrorism financing part uh, of uh, what you found. Because, you know, I mean, in in our in our country, you know, I mean, they look into people like innocuous people who will donate yeah. to a charity that might have uh, some tenuous connection to terrorism. Like, let's just say it's a charity that deals with Muslim issues. If that charity right. has any connections to terrorism financing, 
quite often they will be investigated, you know, with a stethoscope up their rear end. Uh, and the sure. people who are dealing with them can find themselves in prison. Can you tell us a little bit about that terrorism financing? Yes. What did that relate to? Yes. Yeah, so um, so this information has come to light in the public, in the media. So I can talk about it a little bit more now. There's still some pieces like the banks that were involved in the money laundering and all of that, that I can't divulge that information. But what I can say is that there was a, uh, there was a man uh, who was the spokesman for the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. And his name was, um, uh, I want to say it was Hadid or Haddad El-Gahad. And um, uh, he was on the payroll of the Clinton Foundation. Uh, He was receiving regular payments from them. And uh, these payments, uh, according to the FBI, looked like, you know, like they were, you know, like it was a salary. And, um, and interestingly enough, those payments were happening, uh, you know, for months up into the lead up of the whole Arab Spring and the, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood overthrow of you know, the Egyptian government. So, you know, there's a lot involved in there. There's so much that I can unpack there that is just uh, horrifying, to be honest with you. Um, some of it almost seems like ridiculous because it just seems so like hard to believe. But Benghazi's involved. Um, it has to do with gun running. It has to do with a plot. Uh, uh, there was a guy uh, by the name of Mark, um, and it's spelled M-A-R-C. Um, what was his last name? I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. but um, I remember what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Okay. So this guy, this guy was a, he was a arms dealer okay, in Benghazi. And uh, what happened was um, he was... Uh, he had a he had convinced the the Mark Turi uh, Mark Turi that's it Mark Turi so he had convinced the State Department uh, they had this problem they wanted to get guns to Syria okay but they couldn't give guns directly to Syria so this guy Mark Turi came up with this idea of okay well what if we sold the guns to um, I think Qatar and Qatar then you know it's like triangular trade right and I'm sure it's probably violating all kinds of international law. But this is what, you know, this is what they intended on doing. So Mark Turi all of a sudden, you know, gets cut out of the deal. And the deal was only supposed to, to, to be dealing with, uh, was only supposed to be selling small arms. Okay. There wasn't supposed to be any like, you know, uh, sh- you know, shoulder uh, guided missiles or anything like that. Okay. It was just supposed to be small arms only, which is like, you know, basically machine guns and handguns and, you know, things like that. But what ends up happening is Mark Turi gets cut out of the deal and uh, Clinton, you know, Hillary Clinton basically says, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to do this deal, but we're going to give them, you know, more than just small arms. Uh, We're going to give them stinger missiles and other things like that. So those uh, next thing, you know, the FBI, um, you know, so Mark's basically, you know, he's, he's like trying to make some noise about it because, you know, this was his deal supposed to happen. Um, and the FBI, all of a sudden, you know, they arrest him and they charge him, uh, you know, with uh, basically illegal gun running. And he goes, you know, hold on a minute. And he has a good lawyer and he basically has his lawyer tell the FBI and actually announce it in the news. And it's you can look it up and there's there's articles about it. He says, if the FBI doesn't drop all charges right now against me, I am going to expose everything about Hillary Clinton's involvement in the gun running operations 
through North Africa up in, and up into Syria. And next thing you know, what happens? FBI drops all charges. So, you know, there, there was uh, stuff that was going on. Uh, there was, you know, money and guns and things like that that were going to actors all throughout the Middle East. And, uh, and so I think that this whole, you know, whole thing with the whole Arab Spring, I suspect, was entirely a State Department CIA operation. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, it, and, and of course, and of course, and of course, it ended up costing thousands, you know, tens of thousands of lives, you know, with the whole war in Syria and all of that. Yes. So the trial for Mark Turry should have began on Election Day in 2016. Uh, and all of those weapons ended up going to ISIS and Al Qaeda and were then used, right. of course, to to kill uh, American men and women, probably. Um, yep. Yeah. And there's so, some people and there and I, and I don't know, I, I you know, that much I do know for certain. Um, there are also others that suspect and that have made ties and links to things like, um, you know, there were weapons that showed up in in. In, you know, in the hands of the Taliban, for example, um, in particular, uh, a Stinger missile that you know may have taken out you know a a helicopter full of U.S. servicemen mm-hmm. um, that may have come out of that supply or cache of weapons. So you know we don't know. I mean, that's the thing when these gun when these weapons get out of the hands of the U.S., it, it was like imagine this, right? It was like um, uh, it was like the Fast and Furious, you know that that Obama oh on steroids. On steroids. Yeah. We're not just going to give, you know, some, some drug dealers across the border guns. No, we're going to give, you know, terrorists major, you know, weapons and stinger missiles and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, it was that on steroids. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that, you know, Hillary Clinton had something I do, you know, something, you know, something to do with, you know, suggesting the whole Fast and Furious thing just because it seems so similar. You know? <laughs> like, well, remember when we I'm tried Mexico? That that's, Let's... Not, that's right. Yeah. I'm not saying that's what happened, but it serves like, man, you know, you know, oh. this, uh, this idea looks like it's been played before. Oh, good Lord. All right. So I just want to say thank you once again to Nate for being here and for having this conversation with me. I want to thank everybody out there in the audience. Let me go through a couple of these uh, uh, donations on the foxhole, and we're going to bring in our first caller. Uh, Sean Joe, thank you very much. And due diligence, man, it's so good to see you out there. Donated 5,000 gold pills. He says, much love, brother, Red Pill 78. And Empress is going to slap the crap out of me for this. So I appreciate your generosity. Uh, Casey dropping a can. Frank Stained, he says, uh, hey, gents, happy Independence Day to two great patriots. That's right, everybody. Happy Independence Day. Hope you're going to have a great weekend. Uh, Sean the Banker, he says, Nate, man, it is so good to hear you and, and to know that you and your family are doing good. You will always have a family here. Uh, Anita says, thank you for your sacrifice, Nate. Freedom McCory says, freedom, go, let's go, let's go. Father Larry, thanks for that cookie. Okeanon says, uh, what is the Clinton body count up to? What is, I think it's in the 60s, but, you know, it's it's up to interpretation. Right. If we looked a little hey, bit harder, for, we pray, could probably find dozens more. <laughs> hey, pray for me that I don't end up on it, okay? Yes, yes. <laughs> and let me make clear, I am not suicidal in any way. And I'm in excellent health right now. So absolutely. Uh, and let's see. Uh, Astro Astro Emmy for thank you for the can. Spicoli says interviews like this is what it's all about. Thank you. Casey drops some shades and then two in the pink says, hey, Zach, thank you very much for that. And then also 
on uh, Rumble a while ago, Deplora Laura, I didn't want to interrupt you, uh, said, still my fave. Thank you for all your hard work, son. You are amazing. Thank you very, very much for being here. And for anybody who had seen Nate's uh, screen name on Truth Social, MC Poda, now you know why he has that MC Poda name, uh, making communists pay out the ass. That's, that is uh, pretty sweet, pretty sweet. <laughs> All right, we've got our first caller coming in. If I'm not mistaken, this should be DJ. DJ, is that you? That's me, Zach. How are you, brother? I am doing so good, man. Glad to hear your voice. How, how, how's it going for you? It's going pretty good, man. You know, it's a holiday weekend, and, you know, as I'm just sitting on the couch this weekend. I'm not going anywhere. It's just too much right on. stuff going my lawnmower is in the shop, so I, I can't mow the lawn. I need to, but uh, hopefully I'll get it back after the holiday, and then we'll get back to work. Yeah, you know, it's just something funny. You know, I, I was invited to go to Mexico um, in about a week, about a week and a half from now. Sweet. For 10 days. And I was like, I'm not going there. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going there. <laughs> you but never know. Because with my law, I'll go there. You know, and while I'm there, something will happen and I won't be able to get back in the country. So I just rather just stay here. Yeah, man. Play it <laughs> yeah. safe. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, listen, guest tonight is very, very, very good. I, I like this show a lot. Um, some cr incredible stuff. And I remember a lot of the stuff that he's talking about. And it, the, the thing that struck me the most about what he said was the part about Bill Barr. I, I don't even under, I can't even comprehend that really. Like how, yeah, me neither. Yeah. It's a, that's crazy. Crazy. I really don't have any questions. Um, couldn't speak to you for the last few shows. I don't know why. I think it was the last one. You didn't have the information up, and I couldn't call in. I I'm forgot. Like, I totally for I, I realized that after the show was over. I'm sorry. Yeah, but I'm like, well, how are these people talking? Like, is it just not showing up on my screen? How are they on the show talking, and I can't get in? It's all right, though, anyway. But I wanted to tell you, the one thing that I did want to tell you was that I watched the show last night. That was a great show. That's probably one of the best ones I saw. I loved your com com commentary afterwards. It, it was great. And I was up till 8 o'clock in the morning watching State of Sweden. Oh, that awesome. is incredible. Yeah, I didn't get I didn't get near. I didn't even really take a bite out of it because there's so much information in there. Yeah, but it's voluminous. A, it's horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Yeah. Um, but you were saying something the other day, and I just wanted to touch on this a little bit, just a drop. Um, you're saying about there is no way to control your emotions, but there is. Um, oh, no, there, there definitely is. I was just saying that people don't know how to do it. <laughs> Too many people don't know how to. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I used to um, work for drug treatment. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we emphasized most was that you need to control your emotions, something which I already knew since I was a kid, mm -hmm. because I've trained in martial arts almost all my life. And I know that you have to control your emotions. You have to be calm, especially if there's going to be a physical exchange. Yes. Because once you get upset and your emotions get involved, you make mistakes. But if you stay calm and take your emotions out of it, you can, over, you can overcome your attacker in, in a matter of seconds. You're, you're absolutely seconds right. Because it's 
it's it's kind of weird, but but it seems like they they end up moving in slow motion. You're like the Flash. You're like just looking at them moving it. <laughs> like I, you're thinking at the same time. I can't believe that they're gonna do what they're doing right now. That's how slow it seems that they're moving. But with that said, I want to say have a great holidays, guys. Be safe. Be smart. Be vigilant. Be aware and be happy. Happy Fourth of July. I love you. you. I know you love us. And we'll talk to you again soon. We'll talk to you soon, DJ. Happy holiday. God bless you. We'll see you, buddy. And yes, you know, I mean, DJ said that uh, he learned that when he was working in a treatment center. I mean, I fully credit my sobriety with my preternatural ability to control my emotion. You know, I mean... Uh, when I was drinking, you know, everything is ruled by that. You're, you don't really have a filter and things just kind of happen. Uh, but having to learn to live life without any crutches, I, I was fully dependent upon my own ability to process every single situation that I was in. And there's only one way you can survive when you're going through that, and that is to make sure that you are in control of your emotions, because otherwise you make decisions uh, based upon anger or, you know, something else, and things never go right. Uh, next caller Hi. coming in, and can we get your name? Uh, Sterling Cannabis. How you doing, Seth? Sterling, good to hear from you, buddy. Uh, what's on your mind tonight? Um, well, I do have a little question for Nate. Um, I think that this is the first interview that I have seen with him. And, man, what a, it's so much information that's all, probably too much for me to digest all at once, actually. But you've uh, definitely shown me that you have a broad knowledge and understanding of the workings of the swamp. Mm-hmm. So I wish I didn't. <laughs> You're right. So my question for you is, what do you think the possibilities of us actually having an election in November? And what are the things that we can, as individuals, watch out for to make sure that we do have an election in November? So this is a very, very good question, and I'm glad that you brought it up because I am passionate about this. The federal government okay, has some say in these elections, but ultimately it is the state legislatures that matter. If there's anything that I learned out of this whole experience is that trying to fight these, you know, these battles uh, in the courts is just next to impossible because nobody wants to stick their neck out on something political like that. So you've got to fight these with the state legislatures. That means that it's extremely important that you're, you are monitoring your state legislators, that you are making sure that they are passing election integrity laws, that they are uh, you know, doing things like voter ID, and, and that they are ensuring that these, uh, these Zucker you know, boxes, as they call them, uh, these, you know, uh, the, the mail-in ballots and th- yeah, the drop boxes; those things have got to go away. Those things were how they pull- how they perpetrated this. I mean, they've always you know this is the, this is the old. There's nothing new here. There really isn't. I mean, the way that elections have always been stolen has been through ballot stuffing. That has always been one of the main ways that elections have been stolen. And because of that, they have have they have all of these rules um, around you know ballots. So so in the way that 
that when you come in, you have to show ID you have to, or you have to do a signature card. There's got to be some way to verify that the person handing in the ballot is the person claiming that they're claiming to be. And the thing that, that by having these drop boxes, what it does is it completely bypasses the security, the physical security around the ballot protection. And that's really, you know, I think where things went, went awry. And so, so we've got to get these, get rid of these drop boxes. Uh, everybody that is going to vote needs to show up in person. The only people that should have exception are the military because they're serving their country overseas. But even there, you know, I don't see why they, they can't, uh, you know, it's a, it's a quick thing to validate that somebody's in the military. So I don't understand why they allow, you know, mail-in ballots. There's really no excuse for it. Well, um, you know, they, it some, it's deceptively simple. They allow it because it well, is okay. the easiest way to why. commit I the was, fraud. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. You're giving them too much credit. <laughs> and, 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 and here's another thing, too. When it comes to the electronic voting machines, um, you know, look, I'm in cybersecurity. I do think that there are ways that things can be made safer. But as long as they're not going to do those things, we should get rid of electronic voting machines. Because the fact is, uh, one of the other things that I discovered that I've not heard anybody talk about is that these machines don't get updated. So they're supposed to be getting updated, but they really don't. And, and when, because the, the, when they update a machine, like they change the software version on these machines, um, there is a process, and this is according to HAVA. Okay, so it's, a, it's basically, uh, that is the Help America Vote act which is a law that allowed electronic voting machines to be used in the first place so that there are very strict rules about that but one of those rules that came out of the the um uh the 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 voting systems guide is that you have to ensure that any changes that are made it has to go through basically a change control process which means that if it's a a significant change like a a software you're changing a complete version of the software has to go back to a lab be revalidated, be recertified. But here's what they're able to do. If they say, oh, well, it's just a, you know, it's a minor change. It's just a, you know, we're going from version six to version 6.5 or whatever, version 6.1. Then they don't have to do it. They don't have to revalidate anything. They will accept the word of the electronic voting machine, you know, company. And so they only have to, you know, basically, it is ridiculous. The worst part about it is most of them haven't been doing it. And yet the states are still using, you know, this, this stuff. So, so I work in cybersecurity. One of the things that's critically important in cybersecurity is regular patch management. I got to make sure that every government system is patched. Okay. Because if it's not, then it's exploitable because it's not like it used to be, you know, back 20, 30 years ago, where to be a hacker, you had to actually understand how to reverse engineer code. You don't need that anymore because now, if you want to know how to hack Microsoft, you just go to Microsoft Knowledge Base and look at the latest, uh, um, you know, basically uh, what they call a CVE. It's a, a vulnerability um, uh, database that, that lists the vulnerabilities and lists how those vulnerabilities are exploited. And you can go and look so at that, and that will tell you. They, they do. They do. So th- what that means is it means is that people have to patch stuff, like, immediately. And so when you look at a computer... Um, that is supposed to be securing an election and they're using, um, you know, Windows XP, for example, okay? It's not even supported anymore. Not getting patched, it's completely unsupported. The government will not allow for its national security systems to be using that 
as an operating system. Yet, some of these voting machines are using that as operating systems. So here's the crazy thing. The outgoing um, director uh, for the Department of Homeland Security, uh, I think his name is John Jay, or no, Jay Johnson, I think, yeah, Jay Johnson. Uh, he was he was Obama's outgoing uh, director. He actually did something. He basically said that all electronic voting machines, that the entire electronic voting system falls under national security critical infrastructure. Okay, that was one of his things that he did on on, on the outgoing, you know, on his when he was going on. And actually, I don't really have a huge problem with him. Um, I think that that he actually was was more honest than some of the other people in the Obama administration. But he, he did that. And what that meant is that meant that every single electronic voting system falls under something called FISMA. FISMA is the, um, uh, is the uh, Federal Information Security Management Act. And, uh, and, and it has a new name. They changed it. There's FISMA 1.0 and 2.0. And 2.0 is like the, the Federal Information Security Modernization Act. But basically, these two acts are critical to my job. I, I know all about them because I... I have to validate FISMA compliance with government systems all the time. So I can tell you right now, none of these machines that are out there you know, are, are, are compliant with HAVA, let alone FISMA, and about half of the other you know, requirements that they're required to meet. And they are not doing you know, change management. They're not doing regular patching. They're not updating them. Um, you know, they're not recertifying them. Uh, they even wrote something into their guidance that allows for them to basically continue. So here's the thing. This is crazy. I, I really don't understand this. Um, but but uh, they, the, the EAC, which is the Election Assurance Commission, okay, um, they, they basically wrote the latest guidelines for electronic voting machines. One of the things that they did was they wrote in their latest guidance, they said, um, we're not going to require any company that has electronic voting systems to, if they, if they do have to, uh, if they do a change and it has to go up for review, they don't have to use the new security guidelines. They can use the old security guidelines. So in other words, the old security guidelines are grandfathered in for those machines. So what that means effectively is that if you are a electronic voting machine company and you make electronic voting machines, you don't have to spend any money basically sending any of your new stuff to a lab. You can just basically certify it yourself, make a statement to the effect, and then it goes to the EAC, and the EAC then will approve it. And you don't even have to use the latest standards. You can use the old standards. So even though there were major changes made to the new standards to increase security, you're not required to follow those new standards. You can use the old standards. So that's why when you go to um, – when you go to uh, – uh, the EAC's webpage, and you go and you look at all the different voting machines that are out there, and you look to see what standard that they are validated on, they're all validated on the old standard because nobody is using the new standard unless they create a brand new voting machine. And, um, and it, that, that's right. So they just keep basically saying, oh, we're just, we're just renewing, we're just uh, upgrading the old version. And they're, even if it has a completely different operating system, it's still just an upgrade so they can get away with using the old standards. 
Well, listen, Sterling Cannabis, <clears throat> we have already blown through two hours, so I wanted to hopefully oh, get... I, I, I appreciate it. I, yeah. I definitely appreciate the answer I got, too. Thank you Absolutely. very much, Nate and Zach. No problem. Thank and you, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Blessed, have a blessed holiday. You too. Bye-bye. All right, I need to say thank you to Aaron Moriarty over on Cash App. He said, this is a great show, brother, and Nate needs a movie. Also, Mitzi said, I love your news. You look great and very smart. Thank you so much, Mitzi. I appreciate that. And then also, Deplorable Aura over on Rumble said, just because you're worth it. I really, really appreciate it. Nate, would you mind if we took just one more caller before we uh, close out for the night? You can take as many callers as you want. <laughs> well, I have to take a bathroom <laughs> break at some point. I'm going to no I'm gonna have to bring them in, and then I'll have to leave and let you guys talk. All right, let's All right. see. Let's bring in... The next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Can we get a name? Caller, are you there? I can hear you in the background. Are you there? Hello? Hello, you're on the air. What's hey, your name? What? This is Guy. This is God's Guy. God's hey. Guy. Hey, welcome. <laughs> What's happening? I, I got a call from Cindy Lancaster, one of our mutual hey, sisters, and said... Two of our favorite human beings are on air at the same time. You better get there. So I did. <laughs> Bro, it's so good to hear your voice. So That's awesome. You. I'm glad you were able to jump in. Uh, oh, man, I love it, dude. I love it. Two of my favorite people and I, and I, in the same place. So uh, great questions. Nate, it's great to see you. I left a message on your voicemail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> always in prayer for you, brother. Um, Thank you. I, I wanted to you, bring brother. this. Oh, I love you, man. Hey, and if it wasn't for Zach, I wouldn't even know you, bro. Remember how long ago was yeah. that? Oh, man, my goodness. Yeah. That was, it seems Back like forever ago. Back in the days ago. of YouTube. Yeah, huh? yeah. <laughs> seems like forever ago. <laughs> it was, you know, almost five years now. Crazy. It, it's been a while. Zach, you look great. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. You have aged well, my brother. Hey, man, it's this yes. Florida sun. I noticed notice you're getting some of that distinguished gray hair. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. Is it, it, when, I, when it grows out a little bit, you really see it. If it, it looks darker on screen than it is in real life. Like, I look white in real life. <laughs> I love it. I grew a full beard, man. I look like the mountain man that I am now. So, yeah. Good stuff. We, Good stuff. We're trying to age well. Brothers, brothers. So my my comment is something that uh, Dinesh D'Souza couldn't answer when I was when I when I did, helped with the premiere of that in Vegas. I got a question for you, Nate, and for you, Zach, because yeah. Zach's probably one of the smartest guys I know. What do we do when something gets stolen from you and you know where it's at? You go break down the door and you get your bike back or you get your car back. Well, we got a stolen president. So what can we yep. do now? Is it time to grab your torch and pitchfork? I mean, and, and Zach's walked me off the ledge a number of times, and I'm sure Nate remembers doing that as well. But yep. I'm not on the edge yet. But, man, I'm telling you guys, it's like if it wasn't for my faith in Christ, mm -hmm. I, I would be pulling yeah. my hair out. Oh, yeah. I, I'm with you, man. I, 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 I've got my answer. I mean, but it's specific to this time. Nate, what do you think? So, look, I'm going to level with you guys. I think a lot of what we're seeing, uh, there are spiritual implications to it. It, it, is, it. it is unbelievable the level of evil that we see in these times. And, and I'm not saying that there hasn't been times like this before in this country. There certainly has. I mean, I think, you know, the time of the Civil War was horrible. 
And I think there's probably a lot of evil going on at that time. I think that uh, there's been periods of history where it seems like like God's blessing has been pulled back. And I feel like that's what we're under right now. I feel like like our country is under a curse right now for a lot of the evil that has just been allowed to happen. I think the abortion issue uh, is yeah. one that, thank God, is beginning to take a turn. And maybe Amen. that will change some things. But I think, honestly... Um, when you have the when the law enforcement agency who's who's responsible for uh, ensuring you know that these kinds of things don't happen without prosecution, when they basically obstruct justice, uh, then there I don't believe that there is any hope in anything that man can do. And to me, I think it would be disastrous, um, you know, to uh, you know to to become violent over it because all that would do is you know violence begets violence. And I'm not saying that there's never a time for it. But I don't think that, you know, there's a time for it until you basically are defending your own life yeah, uh, or, or the lives of your family. And so because, if, you know, look at, and, and honestly, like even look at January 6th and look what they've done to these people. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's just unbelievable. So I think the best thing that we can do is to continue to educate people, to continue to give, you know, the, the left, you know, I, there's a saying I've heard before, which is, uh, you know, you give them enough rope you know, to hang themselves. And I mm-hmm. think that they're doing that. I think honestly, yeah. why has, uh, you know, Trump, um, you know, kind of like stepped back and, and, and not really, you know, pushed harder. And I think he's been doing just that. He's been basically let stepping back and letting them uh, have enough rope, you know, to, to hang themselves. They are their own worst enemy. They are exposing themselves every day. And I think, um, I think I just saw something recently and I want to say it was like the AP or something that said that, over a million Democrats have left the Democratic Party, yep. you know, and joined the Republican Party recently. And yep. so when you think about that, um, there is a tipping point. Look, the Democrats are always going to cheat. There's no doubt in my mind. There are things that we can do. I think it's extremely important that we get involved in our, our state politics. We have to get these legislators to do the right thing. And, and mo- a lot of it is just they're not educated. Mm-hmm. You know, they may have became they, they may have ran for office because, um, you know, maybe there's an issue that was near and dear to their heart and maybe elections has nothing to do with, with that. Maybe they're just ignorant. And so educating them is important. Um, there are groups that have been out there doing that. I think that, um, you know, uh, Rudy Giuliani has done a lot of that. And, uh, you know, even the, uh, Mike Lindell, you know, and his team and stuff have gone and spoken to some lecture. I know I've gone and spoken to some legislators and, uh, you know, about these issues, but more awareness needs to, to, to get out there. Um, we have to be smart, though, because um, <clears throat> without a doubt, you know, there, there are enemies of the state right now working for the government that will do everything within their power to try to set you up and try to turn you, you know, into a, an example, uh, you know, and try to, you know, basically threaten. Because that's what January 6th is about. January 6th is about basically putting fear in all of us. So that we won't ever go out and protest because do you think there'll be another protest like there was before down in, you know, at the mm-hmm. Capitol building? No, no. probably, no. probably not, no. not in our lifetimes or at least not in any time in the near future, because who wants to go to jail <clears throat> for something that you didn't do and not get a chance to even have your day in court? And, you know, I mean, like, I, I know what it's like to, to be harassed by the FBI without being charged. Some of these people have been charged, but they haven't had their day in court and they're still innocent. You know, they have a presumption of innocent until they're proven guilty, you know, in our legal system. So 
So there is something that we can do. And one of the things that, um, that uh, I, I asked that question, I prayed about it. I asked God about it. When I got home after December, I felt totally just, my spirits were low. I felt completely just, you know, just like, what is the point of it all? You know, and because I basically went through two experiences of seeing our own government obstructing justice and, uh, you know, and, and nothing coming of it. So I prayed about it and I asked God and God, I believe God spoke to me and said, you'll find your answer in Amos chapter five. And what I, I went through and I read it and over and over again, it's like God is giving an indictment against the, you know, the people of Israel uh, for, you know, basically turning their back on God. And, uh, you know, and you see this term come up for injustice over and over and over again, because you've had injustice towards the poor, because you've had injustice in the courts, because you've accused those, uh, you know, who are telling the truth of telling lies because, you know, and it's like over and over again. And, and in the end, it says, um, it says, it says, uh, love what is good, hate what is evil. Uh, I'm trying to remember here. Love what is good, hate what is evil. And it says, and, and do not, or, or continue to pursue justice in the courts. And it says, and perhaps God will forgive you and, for, you know, will turn, basically turn around the nation. So I believe that one of the things that God wants is he wants justice and it needs to happen in the courts. I think that the courts is where it needs to happen. That means there need to be lawsuits. There needs to be lawfare as, you know, not warfare, but lawfare. We still have a legal system. And we just saw, it, you know, at work in the Supreme Court recently with mm-hmm. many of their, like they just, they just righted several wrongs yeah. that have been going on for over 50 years like gun yep. rights, uh, the EPA case, which a lot of people don't understand how big that, of a, you know, how big of a deal that is, but that's huge because Roe it strips Wade. the administrative Roe versus Wade, of course. Yep. But that EPA ruling strips the administrative state of a lot of their power where the EPA can't just go and say, Oh, climate change. So we're going to, you know, shut down your business. No Congress has, is the only ones that can make laws. The, the uh, executive branch can't, and they can't delegate that powers to, you know, people who aren't elected. So there's a lot of things that happened in the last couple of, you know, a uh, few last few weeks to turn the Stop ship that. around. And, yeah. and I'm hopeful for the first time in a long time, I'm hopeful, but I believe it's going to come through the courts. I think that's the only way it can come. And, you know, if there was any area where, where Trump really, um, you know, left the country better than, uh, than it was when he got there, that couldn't be like just turned around because everything that you know president does it's by executive order can be you know turned around the next you know uh whoever the next president is and a lot of the policies and stuff you know in terms of spending all of those things change under a different administration but one thing that happened that trump did uh, that was not so easy to change was he elected or he um appointed a lot of judges a lot of federal judges more than any other president so Thank God for that, because I think that is where things are going to change. So we need to watch the courts. We need to speak to our local legislators and our, our state re- representatives, make sure that they are acting in the interests of our state. And if they're not, we need to fire them. And that means we need to speak up and, and we need to be asking God, hey, Lord, what do you want me to do about it? Do you want me to run? You know, that's. You know, I, I think that right there, Nate, I mean, since all of this went down, 
Not only have we had people leaving the Democratic Party in droves, not only do we have more people that have woken up as a result of all of these injustices, more people also getting involved at the local level uh, in a number of different ways. But in November, we have a tremendous opportunity because a lot of those people are legislators that failed us, that chose not to do anything, that chose not to listen to us. Those people are going to be replaced. And you better believe that the people who are going to get elected in their place and and many people who are going to be elected replacing the Democrats that simply decided it was a losing battle and they didn't even want to take the opportunity to lose an election. All of those legislators coming in are America first. They understand that the American people want election fraud solved. We can't have another election like this. And because this isn't a presidential election and it's going to be a lot more compartmentalized on local levels, I think, yes, there is going to be cheating that goes on. But I don't think that they're going to be able to overcome the number of people who are going to come out and vote Republican simply because they understand how badly the Democrats have screwed the pooch on policy. They have destroyed themselves and people are just not going to support them. So I think that in the same way it took years and years for our country to dissolve and and be taken over by this criminal enterprise, it's taken us a little bit of time to kind of get back and right the ship so that we can head in the right direction. But I I believe that's going to be happening this year. Amen, Zach. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, what do you think, dude? Yeah. And it's and and we have they we they they want us to resort to violence. Let me just say that. That's right. Okay. What happened on January sixth showed me that there is no way that this can be done uh, in an incivil manner. We we have to be as by the book as we possibly can, because yep. if there's any opportunity for them to come after us, either legally or physically. You better believe they're going to do it. Uh, They would love nothing more than the opportunity to probably gun down, have another Kent state uh, with a a bunch of Republicans walking up. And, you know, the implication of violence is enough for them to come after us and to uh, to destroy everything we've been working towards. Amen. Well, we're going to continue praying and fasting and praying for our nation on Amen. our network, and we're going to keep supporting you guys any way we can. And thank you, Nate, so much uh, for your input. And always, as always, bro, I'm always in prayer for you and your family. We love you so much here. You too, Zach. Thank you for your input there. Uh, last but not least, uh, just for the audience, what can the little fellas, what can us little guys do? Uh, uh, Zach, what, what do you think? What, what can us little fellas do to make a difference? Keep keep trying to get the truth out or what? I think that, you know, that's number one right there. You know, always be ready to red pill somebody in some small way, because it, all it takes is just one little bit of truth to get into somebody's head and open up their mind so that they can start looking around and, and perceiving things differently. But most importantly, every single man, woman and, uh, you know, a voting aged person should be involved in their local process, whether it's at the the city, you know, county or state level, you know, join school boards, school board. Yes, absolutely. You know, sign up to be a poll watcher. They need poll watchers. And here's the thing. Democrats always always volunteer to be poll watchers. And that's how we got screwed in 2020. Republicans are not as quick to get into that stuff. But I think that's changed. And you have a real opportunity to uh, to ensure that you're there. 
what what we cannot have another 2020 where people are worried about standing six feet apart. Uh, they're allowing themselves to be kicked out of the count rooms uh, They're where they're afraid of being called a racist. You know, you've called me everything uh, under the sun. OK, you know, as far as they're concerned, I'm a racist. I'm an insurrectionist. Uh, you know, I'm a revolutionary. Yeah, yeah, I'll take all of it, okay? But I love my country, and I'm not going to let you make me feel bad for wanting to defend it, because I will. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for taking the call. Zach, um, you know how to get a hold of me anytime if you want to, bro. I'd love to hear from you. Love you so much. Love you. Nate, you know how I feel about you, my brother. You're always welcome to uh, come on and and do some pastoral stuff. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. All right, brother. Thank Say you, hi Doc. to the fam. Uh, she's listening right now, man. Oh, good. She's What's up, Gina? your way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love All you, right, brother. You guys. Love you, dude. All the love way you. out here in the backwoods of Southern Oregon, throwing kisses and prayers your way. <laughs> Thanks for taking the call. God bless you both. God bless, bro. We'll talk to you soon. All right. And let's bring in our next caller, and then I think we're going to have to call it a night, guys, because my bladder is about to burst. But this is a special, special caller. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Welcome, Campy Stabby. Hey. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> hey, bro. Surprise, my bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I've never seen you guys on screen before at the same time, yeah. but you look so much alike. It's great. Yeah, this is my my this is my greatest fan right here. <laughs> so Although good. I should have put my other backlight, so it looks like I have white hair. So, <laughs> well, I mean, my you know, it's actually great lighting, you know. But yeah, <laughs> looks good, looks good. Yeah. So, so what's going um, on? What are you what are you doing tonight? Yeah, not much. Uh, yeah, just uh, well, it was actually funny funny thing because uh, I my my buddy uh, he was on your your channel Ungies uh, or at Ungies he he hit me up he's like hey so uh, you're you know. Or uh, you know my brother, he's gonna be on, uh, um, <laughs> you know, on your show, and I was like, oh, cool, you know. And I always find out, like, you know, uh, like either the day before or the day after or whatever. <laughs> um, and I mean, I pretty, I watch you pretty consistent, but, uh, um, but yeah. So I, I called him up. I was like, hey, so you're gonna be on the show? And he's like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were gonna throw me under the bus. I knew it. <laughs> oh, man. I'm glad you said something. Uh, I always say something yeah, like yeah, the yeah. day before, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I'm, I always say I always say I'm Captain ADD, but I think it runs in our, our whole family. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. man. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so, so, you know, tell me, you know, what, what do you think about uh, about your brother standing up and being willing to say something when so many didn't? Well, you know, I'll I'll tell you just a, a funny little thing. So I, I actually made the newspaper when I was like three. Um, <laughs> I uh, I was in this this little race. Uh, it was like a little um, local, you know, newspaper, and uh, everybody thought it was cute because uh, I had this like you know Dutch boy bowl haircut and you know super blonde hair, or whatever. And my shoe fell off in the race. Um, it was like a race for toddlers or whatever. And and I couldn't figure out how to get my shoe back on. And I'm sitting on the track while everybody's running to the fish finish line. And uh, so they, they put my name in there and they put Ryan uh, King. You know, they totally spelled it wrong. I'm like, what the heck, you know, uh, as I'm looking later. And then my brother's like, oh, I'm going to up you. You know, I'm going to become, you know, the one of the top whistleblowers in the nation or whatever. So, but anyway, so <laughs> I'm going to get the FBI to raid my house. Now, but, 
But anyway, so, um, yeah. So, yeah, for me, you know, like, the way I saw it was, you know, it was scary. Um, you know, but, you know, as being a Christian, um, you know, the, the reality is, is we're supposed to live in faith. If we're mm-hmm. not living in faith, um, then, then we're not doing anything. Um, a lot of people have told me that, uh, you know, man, I, I want the Lord to speak to me audibly and, and uh, to do miracles in my life. And, and I always ask. I'm, I, I don't have any audio. Can you hear him, Nate? Uh, no, no. Okay. Yeah, we lost your audio there, right? Like right at the best part. <laughs> oh, it's uh, it's not working. Oh, okay. Now I can hear something, kind of. There you go. Now, now, now there we, we got go. You. You're like super quiet, but I can hear you. So okay. Um, but anyway, so just going back to, it, we have to step out in faith and all that stuff. And um, and if we don't step out in faith, you're not going to ever, um you know, really get to know who the Lord is. Cause that, you know, we're supposed to live in the spirit, you know? Um, you know, so, uh, anyways, so, you know, the, the thought always went through my mind, uh, is my brother going to get, um, you know, killer eater or, um, you know, whatever, you know, but, but the reality is, um, you know, first off this, this life that we have is temporary. Um, and this right. is not life. <laughs> this is, uh, this is as far from life as we get, you know, um, and, but I will say it is scary it's nevertheless, um, you know, and it always runs my head. Like, ah, I'm always telling my brother, you know, always keep your head over your shoulder, you know, looking and stuff. And we grew up in a, a pretty rough neighborhood. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, Pomona, if you've ever heard of it, um, but it's, it's a, it's a pretty rough suburb of LA. Um, but anyway, so yeah, we saw, you know, guys getting jumped into gangs. I know, um, my brother got clotheslined one time while skateboarding and, and, um, uh, they, they jacked his board and mm. we even did some citizens rests. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was pretty crazy, <laughs> but yeah, so it just, uh, you know, the thing is, is we have to not be afraid and, and stand up for what's right. And, um, and I, I want to mention, um, you as well, you know, um, when, uh, when I was over visiting my brother for Christmas, um, I was like, Hey, we should, we should try to go have lunch with uh red pill, you know? And uh, uh, he's like, dude, you realize that's like a 14-hour drive or something like that, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, so whatever. <laughs> See that in the morning, uh, like 1 o'clock or something. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, but, you know, I, I've always looked at my brother as a hero. Um, and uh, even especially uh, the time when he was uh, up on a bench in high school, he's holding his Bible up in the air and he's like preaching. There's about 50 uh, high school students all standing around and listening to the word being spoken. Um, you know, he really stood out in faith. And, and one of my buddies is like, Hey, is, is that your brother? I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was kind of embarrassed at the time, but I also knew he was right, you know? And, and that was actually, um, the thing that led to me, like, um, not just being a name tag Christian, but um, actually falling head over heels for the Lord. And because uh, a friend asked me, you know, how come you not like your brother? And uh, it just hit me that night, you know, and, you know, because um, I, I said, well, I believe in God, you know, and but so does Satan. Um, and that's the thing. Yeah. So um, there's a difference between believing in God and worshiping God. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my brother's always been my my hero. Um, 
and I also wanted to say uh, you as well and, and any other patriot that stands up and uh, uh, stands for what is right and true. Um, you know, you've lost a lot of things. Uh, shoot, you had to move all the way to Florida. I mean, you know, probably um, better weather, but, uh, you know, you're closer to closer to California weather, um, yep. <laughs> although it's, it's a little too uh, too humid for my um, my inner thighs, you know, but <laughs> but uh, you get used to it. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I really look up to both you guys and, and, and really all these guys that have these channels and stand up for, for what's right. And, uh, and, you know, you're one of the guys that have really been hit hard in a lot of ways. And, and, uh, you just, you don't give up. You just keep getting back on that horse. And, um, yeah, and I, I really, uh, um, look up to that. Um, you guys are both my, even though, let's see, 78. So you're, you're probably, you're younger than me, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, you're still my big brother. <laughs> um, <laughs> my awesome. other big brother, but yeah. So anyways, yeah, I just appreciate guys. And I know you guys, uh, either you got other callers you're trying to wrap up, but yeah. I just, I appreciate, uh, being able to finally meet you and stuff. And, and, uh, I love you, bro. Uh, well, both you bros, actually, Love you, too, bro. um, <laughs> you guys are awesome and, uh, I'll catch you guys later and, uh, I'll see you guys out on the channel. Hey. So yeah, you guys have a good one. One, one last thing, one last thing I want to say, um, you reminded me of, um, you, know, you talked about growing up in Pomona and citizens arrest and everything. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, they wonder like, you know, where, where did, where did I get the courage to do, you know, what I did and, and, and all of that. And, and this is important for everybody. You know, people are asking, what can, what can we do? Look, you are, if you have children, you are an example to your children. And one thing that my father taught me growing up and taught me and my brother is that if you see something going on in your neighborhood, you better get involved and you better be willing to stick your neck out and risk things. I'll never forget the day that um, we had some gangbangers that were, you know, like graffitiing up our neighborhood. And my dad and one of the neighbors basically did a stakeout. (laughs) These gangbangers show up and... And my dad jumps in the truck, drives across the field. I'm like maybe 16 years old. He's like, call, call the police immediately. And so he goes over there, tackles this guy to the ground with all these gangbangers standing around and makes a citizen arrest. <laughs> and luckily, the police were right across the street. Luckily, the, luckily the police were right across the street. And, um, and they, they ended up going in there and, uh, and, and, you know, basically preventing a really bad situation probably. But, but I'm, I'll never forget. Cause the cop told my dad, he goes, uh, he goes, do you, do you carry a gun with you? And my dad said, yeah, I've got a gun. He goes, good. Make sure you always do if you're doing this kind of thing. And I was just like, <laughs> I was shocked. But I mean, I, I realized, I realized my dad risked his life to basically protect his neighborhood. And he demonstrated to me the personal responsibility that we have to take. You know, my dad would take my brother and I around to go pound, um, you know, signs into the ground to uh, there was a there was a, 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 a city councilman that was like basically, you know, defunding the police in Pomona. And my dad went and made, took us go around pounding in signs, you know, the, to recall that guy. And successfully, the guy ended up getting recalled. Nice. So he taught me from a very young age civic duty that we have to our own neighborhoods, to our own you know, states. My dad took me down with him to go, you know, to go vote, you know, when, uh, when he would go vote so that I could see the importance of it. He instilled in me the importance of voting and, and the importance of civic duty. 
I learned that from him. And so just remember, that's what you, you know, those things are things that, you know, get instilled in us when we're young. And so if you have children, it's important that you teach them these things. It's important that you talk politics with them. It's important that you, 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 you instill in them the value of civic duty. So that's all I wanted to, to end with. And uh, thank you, you know, for having my brother on there. I love Absolutely. you, bro. And, uh, and uh, yeah, let me see, bro. <laughs> Zach, man, you're awesome. And I just, uh, I'm so grateful that you, you had us on. And um, it's just, uh, it's been a great, great show. Absolutely. And thanks for calling in, dude. It's great to meet you face to face. Yeah. And one last thing. Sure. Everybody stop giving a red pill crap about his shirts. <laughs> oh, yeah, his man. <laughs> dude, his shirts are awesome. Uh, thank you. All right. And, and just in case anybody out there hasn't noticed, <laughs> every single one of these shirts has a different firearm on it. It's hidden in there. <laughs> yeah. it, this this oh, is all nice. about the That's Second cool. Amendment, baby. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's too right. hot for the, you know, the plaid flannels and all that. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Back up there. So, yeah. <laughs> They're still in my closet. I'm gonna, I wear them at night sometimes. But all right, man, it was great to hear from you. Thank you very right. much for the kind words. You I appreciate it. Going. God Take bless. Care. We'll see you. Right. Uh, so, you know, uh, I also uh, credit my resilience and my uh, ability to carry on and, and, and keep performing this mission in large part, you know, maybe like the largest part due to my faith. You know, I mean, it's like I know that no matter how tough it's going to be, no matter what the trials and tribulations are, God is going to provide. God is going to uh, continue to sustain me and give right. me exactly what I need to keep going. So I've always loved that about you, Nate. You know, your your, your faith has never wavered. Uh, and we've dealt with some horrific stuff in the last couple of years, you know, not just personally and professionally, but, you know, as a country, as a nation, we've 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 had to go through some really tough times. But I know that in the end. We are going to overcome. These people are going right. to face the justice that they are owed, and uh, things are not going to be this way forever. Uh, let me just do my final thank you. I saw that uh, Low Country Brooklyn had dropped something uh, about Scott Pressler. Scott Pressler has done incredible work uh, getting people registered as Republicans all over the yes. nation. Uh, need to say thank you to, let's see, was it, uh, I think the last one that I said was uh, Spicoli. Uh, Casey, thanks for the shades. Uh, two in the pink. Hey, Zach. Uh, Sean Joe dropped a cookie. Mike Montana said, fantastic show, Zach. Doug Simey said, Nate was the nicest guy on Twitter. You were. You always were nice on Twitter. Uh, Space Coast Patriot. I missed most of the live stream. Has Nate worked with Trump or Cash Patel? Uh, you did some work with the White mm -hmm. House, but uh, nothing with Cash. I actually... When I had Cash on the show, I asked him if he remembered your name from his time working with uh, uh, Devin Nunes, but uh, he didn't ring a bell for him. Then uh, also to Frank Staint, he says, thanks again for being here, Nate. Have you heard anything about devolution? If so, do you have any thoughts? No, I have not. No. Okay. Uh, Average Joe Patriot said, cheers, great show. Thanks, buddy. J2 Dank dropped a cookie. Space Coast again. Uh, have a great MAGA month. That's right. We can call this MAGA month. Uh, Sean Joe, appreciate the cookie. Frank Stain, he says, red pill, catheter bedpan fund for when he can't move for two hours. <laughs> We got to get you a stadium, pal. Oh, uh, dude. Yeah. I, I had joked one time with Lisa about just keeping a, a, a gallon, of, a, a milk gallon under the 
onto the desk so that if I had to, uh, I wouldn't have to get up. Average Joe Patriot, as our brother Method said, uh, be the red pill. It is the thing they can't take away from us. And then Country Girl 007 dropped a cookie. All right, uh, Nate, I just uh, always like to ask my guests at the end of the show, what do you really want the audience to take away most from our conversation? I think more than anything else, you know, if you don't have a relationship with God, I hope that you will seek out one. You know, it's not something that anybody can teach you. It's not something that, you know, I don't believe in enforcing beliefs on people, but it is something that I do believe that God wants to have a relationship with you. And uh, if it had not been for that, I don't think I could have had the faith to do what I did. And, uh, and he has come through so many times. I don't care if aliens dropped out of the sky and said, oh, we made you, you know, it wouldn't change a thing because I've seen too many miracles in my own life. There's no way possible that God does not exist. And, uh, you know, I don't think that we all necessarily have all of the answers about who God is, but I do know that God does exist and that he wants to have a personal relationship with every single one of you. Amen. And, uh, and that, that is what I will leave you with. All right. Excellent. Oh, well, uh, thank you once again for being here, Nate. I can't wait to uh, have this conversation again in the future. Everybody out there in the audience, thank you for being here with us as well. I'll be off tomorrow, back on Monday. I have released the scratching over on the foxhole. Sorry, I forgot last night, but hopefully you will win some gold pills tonight. Everybody, good luck and God bless. We'll see you Monday.
When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill. Generally, you have to use multiple products that target belly fat differently to manage excess weight around the stomach. Some products may focus on abdominal exercises or dietary changes, while others might focus on boosting metabolism or controlling cravings. But believe it or not, I may have found a solution that removes the need for juggling through multiple weight management products. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviews back up the notion that Belly Trim is not only a breakthrough in a bottle, but that it also removes the need for us to use countless diet pills and fat-burning supplements. But there's more. If you place your order for Belly Trim now, you'll also receive 51% off free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, two free new e-books titled Top 10 Foods That Burn Belly Fat, and Top 10 Exercises to Reduce Belly Fat, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, and last but not least, free shipping. Simply go to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare Flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now.